I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom, uh, not a big fan of that old Gnostic worldview, Bionic. Some great foreshadowing there. And that's because, ladies and gentlemen, we have a fantastic guest with us this week. Mm -hmm. We have with us Pastor Joe Schimmel, who is the producer of the documentary Hollywood's War on God. And we're going to be talking this week about Hollywood's Gnostic plan to recruit rebels for God. Wow. 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 Yeah, well, that's what our, our listeners are going to say. So let's go directly to Pastor Schimmel, and we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom, sort of blown away with all the Gnosticism in Hollywood, Bionic. And that is because you have seen the work of our guest today, mm-hmm. uh, who happens to be Pastor Joe Schimmel, who is the producer of the uh, documentary called Hollywood's War on God. And our theme this week is going to be Hollywood's Gnostic Plan to recruit rebels against God. And I have to tell you, Pastor Schemmel, it is such an honor to finally have you on the Future Quake Show. Well, it's an honor to be with you guys and uh, find some like-minded brothers that uh, see that there is a real spiritual battle going on and that it it touches uh, in a big way uh, what people are being entertained by on a daily basis. Well, we're going to have a whole lot to chew on because we learned a lot uh, from your documentary, Hollywood's War on God. Of course, if all of our listeners are familiar with you uh, because of our, our relationship uh, uh, with a recurring guest Chris Pinto on our mm-hmm. show, uh, they have a lot of his works. They've seen you in there and the critical role that you play in mm-hmm. them. Uh, I think they've seen probably some other your works as well. Um, uh, of course, we've had our involvement with him, as we've mentioned before, being in a lamp in the dark and collaborated with uh, Chris Pinto in some other ways. Um, you know, we wanted to have you on our show for some time, and we felt that this topic we will discuss tonight would be the best opportunity to make that happen right now. Uh, to begin our discussions, could you very briefly share with us a little bit about your background and some of the other documentary productions that you've been a part of? Yeah, I came uh, actually came to Christ out of uh, the occult when I was a teenager and opened myself up to some really dark forces and realized that Satan was real. It was, there was no doubt about that, that there were evil, demonic forces that I opened myself up to. So I cried out to the living God, and I cried out to Christ and was delivered. And from my perspective, I began to read the Scripture, and it, my perspective was enhanced incredibly. And I realized, wow, this Bible talks all about this spiritual war spiritual battle that we wrestle like flesh and blood, but, you know, spiritual rulers of darkness. And I, I learned that, hey, history is linear, and it's moving toward its culmination at what the Bible calls the Battle of Armageddon. I thought, wow, this Bible talks about the future. As God says he tells the future in advance. all became so obvious to me that this was written by the living God, and that he's at war with these same forces that were using me and, but had, and had used, you know, millions of people prior to me and plenty of people now to perpetuate darkness and the very things that that God stands against. And when I came to Christ, I mentioned that because my whole world view uh, was, I was very keen in regard to what was going on spiritually because of my own having been deceived. And uh, therefore, many of my videos have to do with that deception that's going on. Because the Bible says to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. So I saw, well, I'm not only commanded not to be part of these things, but I'm commanded by God, Christians are, to expose them. And Paul said we're not to be ignorant of Satan's devices, and tragically, I'd say, you know, unfortunately, 
most of the church is very ignorant of what's going on and, and have rushed headlong into those deceptions. So I've got videos out like uh, they sold their souls for rock and roll, which is probably my most uh, popular mm-hmm. video. We've seen uh, hundreds of thousands of people touched by that and can't even count the people that were saved through it. So God definitely used that and done videos like uh, Harry Potter uh, on, on him and you know that whole phenomenon, videos on uh, the Kinsey Syndrome. Actually, Chris Pino and I teamed right, up and yeah. produced that together. When you when and you that, guys stormed the gates there, that uh, that uh, I can't remember the place in there in San Francisco. In San Francisco. Yeah, I thought now that is a cool guy. That's a guy that I would like to get to meet. Yeah. If, if I saw Pastor Joe Schimmel and Chris Pinto coming through my door, I would go to the exit. <laughs> I'd rather see Mike Wallace of 60 Minutes come through than those two guys. Yeah. That, that was a crazy time. In fact, we were in Frisco. We actually went by the Church of Satan, too, which no longer exists on California Street there. Uh-huh. And I don't know if we would have stormed that so much, but <laughs> we wanted to check it out because uh, uh-huh. we're in, the, in that neck of the woods, but it's been closed down. But uh, we walked right in there in that events, that sexual institute, which is you know kind of like the, sure. the Yale of uh, Kinsey's program. And uh, it was quite interesting because uh, I won't go into all the details, but that was we had a lot of fun, uh, a little bit of trepidation because we thought we might be uh, breaking the law. We wanted to make sure we were, we were we're cool with the law and all. But praise God, we got some good footage. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. Now, tell us the name of your ministry. You have a particular ministry name for your works, don't yeah, you? Yeah, it's uh, a pastor church called Blessed Hope Chapel in uh, California and Simi Valley. And the name of our ministry, which has to do with the documentaries and, and reaching people with regard to what we're talking about, is called Good Fight. Our website's uh, goodfight.org. The ministry's called Fight the Good Fight Ministries, and mm-hmm. goodfight.org is our website. Okay. Well, if you don't mind, we'll put that on our uh, on our website and our link here at oh, futurequake.com to your show. Make sure we uh, get people, because they're going to want to get a hold of this. Uh, your, your documentary, Hollywood's War on God, does a very impressive job. And I'll have to say that even in our somewhat jaded view of having reviewed so many other Christian productions on spiritual battles in society, they they get to be a little repetitive, and they sometimes don't have a clear direction of where they're going, and they, they find the devil under every rock. Uh, but right. yours is an excellent job of making a compelling case that there is a concerted effort uh, in the community that produces our mass media in our society, in particular our entertainment industry, of promoting widespread adoption of a specific Gnostic worldview. Uh, to understand this, uh, for our listeners, can you first explain what the classic Gnostic worldview comprises in a nutshell and how it involves gods and evil, an evil sub-creator god, uh, how the goddess Sophia, yeah. you know, reaches out to us and, and how does that belief influence how a- uh, adherents would actually relate to our creator and even to Satan? What actually provides the basis of modern Satanism today, uh, Gnosticism, uh, of course, in the second century, and, and even incipient Gnosticism, which you found in the first century, uh, was not considered uh, satanic by the pagans that were involved in it. Uh, but the believers, Christians, certainly understood that it was satanic, and it was a lot more deceptive back then because you didn't have 2,000 years of church history. You could walk into a Gnostic church in the first century, the latter part, or say the second century when it was more developed, and you'd be hearing, you know, about Christ and you know so forth and uh, certain scriptures. And you didn't have the history to look back on, so you might have a totally different encounter with a totally different Jesus, and that would be the Gnostic Jesus, uh, because Gnosticism was basically paganism trying to hijack uh, the message of Christianity, the message of Christ, and uh, uh, devoid, you know, divorcing themselves from the Old Testament prof- prophecies of who Jesus was. 
they really had no leg to stand on, but basing uh, their understanding of reality on experience. But when you go back, as you're mentioning, as far as, you know, what it, the cosmology is, it is actually, actually, you know, one of the probably most uh, brilliant on a diabolical level schemes of the enemy to get people to actually worship the devil and hate the creator. And basically, there's different, uh, you know, different cosmologies depending on the Gnostics uh, tradition you look at. But let's take probably, you know, the most sophisticated Gnostic uh, cosmology, like the Valentinians in the second century, which uh, the early church fathers had battled with. Uh, and you know, and then I'll probably overlap with some other Gnostic views. Is they basically held that there was this ultimate God called the ultimate depth, and he was a spiritual entity who uh, just dealt in spirit, and he was unknowable, kind of like you know Allah, you know. And you really couldn't know him, and he created these you know 32 birth these 32 eons, and the last of which was an eon named Sophia. And Sophia, uh, well, she wanted to get to know the ultimate depth. She didn't want to be lonely, so. I mean, this is obviously a fairy tale, but so she turned toward uh, him and tried to get to know him, got closer, tried to get closer. What he did is made a mirror image of himself, deceived her. She found out she was deceived, couldn't get to know him, got really upset and angry. So in her anger, she supposedly created Yahweh, Jehovah, uh, the God of the Bible, the creator. And then Yahweh was, you know, presumed to be, as taught in Gnosticism, a very, very powerful God with a low IQ, you see. And he creates matter. He creates the physical earth and physical human beings and what have you. But he's an evil God because he's trapped humans in physical bodies. And he's a bad God. He's mean-spirited and he's jealous. He doesn't want them to become anything. And therefore, Sophia has a change of heart. She's like, man, look what I've done, you know. He's made this whole creation and he's bound these people and it's all my fault. So what Sophia does is she says, you know what, I need to set these people free. She breathes within them a spark of divinity. And now she needs to let them know that they're gods and they can be set free from these physical bodies. So she channels the serpent in Genesis. And she channels the serpent and gives Eve the message that through the gnosis, that's where we get Gnosticism, gnosis, knowledge. Uh, through the gnosis, the secret gnosis of the tree of knowledge, you can realize, you know, your potential and attain deification. And what happens is, you know, Eve succumbs and so forth. And when you look at this cosmology, it's like it takes the Bible and just absolutely inverts it to where Satan, the two-channeled serpent, becomes the savior, and he becomes, you know, in the name of Sophia, and where God becomes the devil, you know. And there's a website called enemies.com where it's a Gnostic website, and they've got a picture, you know, the picture of Christ on the cross, and if you put your cursor at the very front page, I don't know if they saw the same front page, uh, but what happens is this Christ will, his head will split in half, and out will come a serpent, and it's enemies because they're enemies of God, the Creator. So there's, you know, living Gnostics today who recognize that God is real and they're against Him and they hate Him and they, you know, they've, and, and a lot of times they use Gnosticism as a way of communicating their hatred. I don't think a lot of them really believe the tale. But it's interesting because when you get into the New Testament, you get into church history, the first few centuries of church history, actually Gnosticism becomes uh, the greatest enemy of the early church. In fact, many Christians are totally unaware that many of the New Testament letters and even the Gospel of John was written to combat Gnosticism. In fact, Irenaeus, the top church father of the second century, sat under Polycarp, who sat under the Apostle John, tells us that John shared with him that he wrote the Gospel of John to combat Gnosticism. 
So what happens, it's kind of interesting when you look at the cosmology because it gets really fascinating. A bunch of scriptures that we read that we say, wow, why was it written that way or why was this emphasis there are because of Gnosticism. And when I began to understand Gnosticism and read the early church fathers more and more and then read some of the Gnostic Gospels, I realized, wow, you know, first and second, Timothy, some of Corinthians, Colossians with a kind of a Judaism Gnostic kind of, I mean, so many of the books, First John. I mean, so what happens in Gnosticism in the first century now is basically, I mean, in the first century, second century, is you have the pagans, you know, influenced from the Egyptian mystery religions, influenced by Eastern mysticism, seeing Christianity just grow as, you know, people are coming to Christ and being saved. And they're like, man, we need to latch on to Jesus and work them into our cosmology. And that's really when Gnosticism had built its cosmology. So what happens is now... It's not Sophia channeling the serpent to give the message, the secret gnosis. It's now the Christ eon resting upon Jesus, who's just a man usually, and using Jesus as a vehicle to let other people know that they are gods, the same light as in Eden. And therefore, Jesus Christ of Gnosticism is simply the Christ spirit that can rest on any of us that initiates us. So it's a different Jesus, and Paul warns, that Satan comes as an angel of light, preaching a different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel, comes as an angel of enlightenment. And Paul says, I, I fear, let's say, the serpent deceived Eve through his subtlety. Well, how did the serpent deceive Eve? He deceived her through, uh, you know, getting her to doubt the word of God. The Gnostic didn't accept certain scriptures that obviously, you know, combated what they were saying. Uh, he, he deceived her by saying, you know, she wouldn't really die. Gnosticism and also, you know, the New Age movement today, which is basically you know, the extension of Gnosticism, neo-Gnosticism, uh, today says, hey, you don't really die, you know, you just reincarnated. Uh, you you know, uh, it's through this forbidden knowledge that you are initiated, the third lie, and the fourth one, you shall be as God. I mean, the entire lie of the enemy that makes up the neo-Gnosticism today or the popular New Age movement in Hollywood is all, rooted, is all right there in Genesis chapter 3. But what's quite amazing, in the first century, when you read these New Testament books, you start to realize, wow, Here's John. Why is John in 1 John saying that, I mean, explaining to the church, why is he stating, why is he warning about these antichrists? Why is he defining the law as, is, you know, what sin as the, you know, he says that sin is transgression of the law. Why is he talk, emphasizing that we're cleansed by the blood of Christ? Why is he talking about these various witnesses? Then you start to realize, why is John in the Gospel of John saying, you know, beginning his, his, his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and says that everything in verse 3 was made by Him, and nothing was made but by Him. In verse 14, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Why is he emphasizing this? Because he wants us to understand, as Irenaeus said, John wrote the Gospel of John to combat Gnosticism, that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He's not some eon or, or you know, some composite. So what's crazy is you go to First John, the first few verses, he emphasizes, I tried to memorize, this is some of the hardest verses I ever tried to memorize, because he's talking about how we touched him, we saw him, we felt him, you know. He's, and I thought, why is he emphasizing that? Before I understood Gnosticism, in the very beginning of the first John, he's emphasizing that Jesus was really flesh, Jesus Christ. And then he warns whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ, you know, this is the spirit of Antichrist, because the Gnostics were saying Jesus isn't the Christ, he was just a man. And then you start, it, it just all opens up. And then sin is transgression of the law, because of Gnosticism, sin wasn't transgression of the moral law, because the moral law of God was evil because, you remember, God was supposed to be the devil, the creator, and he was hemming us in, keeping us from having, having fun. And therefore, sin and Gnosticism was, you know, things that, you know, it had to do with matter. 
You know, so John explodes us in for what it is. Uh, Pastor Joe, if I could summarize from what I understand, my, my little bit of exposure based upon your teaching of me and other things I've picked up, uh, these, these allusions in Scripture, uh, once you're aware of this, you can start to pick up on them when you read them. For example, the emphasis on the fact that when Jesus appeared, he says, here, come here and touch me. Feel the wounds in my hands. Uh, when he went to the seashore and actually ate a meal, ate some fish, uh, you know, when they brought in the fish and things like that, he was cooking a fire. I, to me, that was a shot across the bow to the Gnostics, uh, that, that, uh, uh, that this was a, this was a real flesh and blood human being, not a spiritual resurrection. Uh, and it seems like in the early church, you have on one side the Judaizers, who are really emphasizing physical things like the right ceremonies, the right practices, this and that, you know, very much the physical acts that are done. And then on the other extreme, you've got the enemy of the Gnostics, who are saying none of the physical things matter, including sin, because all that matters is spirit. Uh, and, and what was interesting in your early discussion was that um, you were saying what a, what a uh, danger and challenge it was in the first century, and ironically that does echo a little bit some of these guys speaking on the other side even today when they say that there was a real battle in the early church for you know because there was a lot of gnostic gospels going around and that there was a battle and evidently there was a real battle between traditional orthodox christianity and a very very strong gnostic presence uh and until we had our canon and really had decided uh, what Christianity was, I could see that, that things hung in the balance, uh, you know, at this particular time. And it sounds like we're back, uh, as we're going to focus on this in this interview, uh, with our new media. And, and basically, these are almost like new churches for the public, these movies and other things that are reviewed. We have a revival of Gnosticism posing a direct challenge to Christianity again. Uh, very, excuse me one second. I'm trying to get over this cold, so... Uh, if I start coughing, I won't stop coughing for like a ministry. Okay. <laughs> but that's a very uh, uh, great insight, you know, in regard to what Jesus had stated and, and emphasizing his uh, humanity. Uh, you definitely see that. And at one point, he even says, "See, touch me that I'm flesh and bone, and I have a flesh and bone which spirit doesn't have." You know, it's a great point. Uh, and with regard to the modern movement of Gnosticism, you know what? It gives you a really good understanding. You can look at history and say, "Hey, that's what happened then." But, yeah, you look at what's happening today, you see that that same spirit is alive and well. In fact, in 1 John, when he warns about the spirit of Antichrist, and he says that that spirit he identifies it as denying the father and son relationship, mm-hmm. which is not deny, and denying that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, uh, we see today that same spirit is, is so alive and well in the New Age movement. And John, when he talks about that, he says, you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many are in the world. He talked about many false prophets are gone out into the world, and the mystery of iniquity is already at work. So he was letting us know that this is going to grow. It's not going to go away. And praise God, you're right. When we got to the canon of Scripture, uh, you know, it became so helpful. I mean, the first church, you know, first century church, they had the Old Testament before the New Testament writing was written. And that was sufficient enough to get them to see through the lies of Gnosticism because the Gnostics, like Marcion in the second century, mm-hmm. was very destructive, but he rejected the Old Testament. And he rejected parts of the huge parts of the New Testament. But anybody that really wanted truth in the second century could could read and realize, hey, this Christianity, Jesus Christ, this is all based on what the prophets have said. So how can you reject him being the son of David, you know, born in the right. flesh? You know? So, but then when the full canon came, 
I mean, then it was over for anybody. I mean, then, praise mm-hmm. God, I mean, we have even the book of Revelation, which mm-hmm. shows culmination of the Gnostic Empire under Antichrist and its defeat. Right, and uh, uh, however, that spirit of Antichrist which comes to fruition in the last days, which we may be in now, has found a a new vehicle and a voice. Uh, I I called it sort of a virtual church uh, in that it really has the attention and the devotion of the modern American populace. But I want our listeners just to remember that simple, succinct doctrine about these gods that created this uh, very mean, evil-spirited demiurge. I think is the term they use, or something akin to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that, and that this God Yahweh or Jehovah actually was the Creator God, but He was up to no good, according to their storyline. And that because of that, we're confined in a material body. We need some way to break free. Sophia breaks through through the serpent to show us the way out. And if you know that simple understanding of Gnosticism, you can interpret. Almost every one of our major Hollywood movies that come out that are more your more cerebral thinking kind of movies, they will fall in a template like this over and over, and you will be amazed to see how this message is reinforced, as your documentary points out, and as our listeners need to, to watch when they get it. Um, now, give, give an example of this. I want us to sort of go through some of these uh, topics very quickly uh, on some, some real-world examples. What do media uh, contributors and even critics themselves, like Richard Stanley, think about m- the media figures' embracement and promotion of Gnosticism? Uh, did they not basically very blatantly admit to it? Well, yeah, you've got guys like Richard Stanley and you know directors, writers, who admit that uh, Hollywood is basically a Gnostic tool. And it's quite interesting because Stanley himself, he made a Gnostic movie called Dust Devil, and in that movie, I mean, it's interesting because he kind of just takes Gnosticism, you know, which he flirts with, but he takes it to a degree where there's a serial killer on the loose, and the serial killer is killing people, uh, but there's a mystical connection. Like, he has some kind of connection with something that's really powerful and real and spiritual, so it's not just some guy who's psychotic. And he goes around killing people, and what he's doing is he's freeing them from their bodies mm-hmm. that Yahweh made. He's freeing, he's killing them, but hey, he, in his mind... You know, he falls in love with a woman, and he brutally murders her to free her from her, her body. Now, it's, inc- it's crazy because that's how some of the most notorious serial killers have justified what they've done. In fact, uh, Charles Manson, one of the most notorious uh, uh, serial killers, I mean, he called himself, one of his names for himself was Abraxas. Abraxas was a rooster-headed Gnostic god. And he considered himself Abraxas, doing, you know, uh, you know, Completing, he also came out of Scientology. He was in Scientology for a while, and Ellen Hubbard said that Scientology is a Gnostic religion. And Ellen Hubbard, of course, uh, you guys may have dealt with this in the past, mm-hmm. is a follower of Aleister Crowley. He was right. the main neo-Gnostic who's paved the way for Satanism, modern Satanism. He did a magical working out in your neck of the woods called the Babylon working. So Jack Parsons. Yeah, that's right. Not yeah, with Jack Parsons, who was a you know with co-founded Caltech and. Right. Uh, you know, and have a creator on the moon named after him. But Stanley said this. He said, I guess I'm going to just quote him and let him get from his own mouth. He said, I guess one could see the whole of the mass media as it stands today as some sort of extension of Gnostic faith. Maybe cinema itself is acting as some kind of handmaiden to the apocalypse. And then he, he admits that Gnosticism inverts uh, Christianity and, and the creator God and mixes it up with the devil. And he says, uh, that in Gnostic terms, he says the Christian God is the wrong God, the usurper God. 
He says, Gnosticism, the Christian God who created the world in seven days, is actually evil for doing that, for trapping our spirits into matter. I mean, the whole reason that Christians are, uh, and heretics fought so badly is because both sides believe the other worshiped the devil, and both sides were diametrically mm -hmm. opposed. Now, your, your listeners, you know, uh, we, let's just think, the creator of the universe, the one that made, you know, the, the, the flowers and the trees and gives us food mm -hmm. and sustenance and, uh, you know, made the brain and, and gave us the ability to enjoy and love and experience love, he's somehow the evil one, and the one who brought and twisted nature and twisted uh, humanity and perverted it is he's the good one, he's the good guy. I think most people would see through that. I, I really think you have to have the inclination to want to do evil in some way that fallen nature really appeals to the fallen nature and Gnosticism. But the key, the key is, is that this gentleman is a Hollywood insider, and he says blatantly, per your quote, that the entire industry is understood that they are promoting a Gnostic worldview. He just says that blatantly. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah no doubt about it. I so, mean, you could think, think of the most popular music that I mean, most popular movie that just came out. I mean, as far as most made the most money, The Matrix. You know. I mean, here's right. a movie that, I mean, Christians, not The Matrix, I'm, we'll talk well, about that in a moment. I want, yeah, I want, I want to hold that for a minute, but I just want to make sure people okay. understand this. This is not Pastor Joe Schimmel just reading between the lines and trying to exaggerate no, this things. This is a quote from the guy's own mouth. This is a statement of where they are, and you are just exposing it. Uh, it if I could ask for one more example, um, Philip K. Dick is a uh, very prominent science fiction specialist whose work is greatly beloved. It, it, most of your more cerebral science fiction stuff, a lot of that comes from him that makes it into our movies. Uh, what did he say, for example, were the inspirations for his work? Uh, maybe you give some examples of some of the works he's most famous for that you alluded to. Uh, and, and even uh, mentioned Keanu Reeves. Uh, uh, you know, he, he had some similar comments, didn't he? Yeah, well, Keanu Reeves was, uh, and The Matrix was influenced uh, heavily by uh, Dick, who the Wachowski brothers are into, Larry Wachowski, both brothers are into, and you know that was probably the most popular movie uh, that uh -huh. that he uh, was influenced by. But several, I mean, that's one of the most popular. But, movies but they time. claim spirit leadership, don't they? I mean, they actually say well, that these other spirits direct either their acting work or their writing work, right? Well, they acknowledge that their work's gnostic. On one of the, their latest DVDs that had come out, like kind of the, you know, this magnum opus of you know the Matrix. Uh, there's commentary in that DVD about how it's, it's thoroughly Gnostic. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, easily startled, deer in the headlights, bionic. And why is that? Well, it's because, because you kind of caught me off guard with a statement there earlier in the show. I'm sorry. I know it's shocking information. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm really glad to have a clear definition of Gnostic worldview, because mm -hmm. I, I basically would think that most people, if you asked them, put them on the spot, they couldn't give you a clear definition. Yeah, they kind of they kind of have an inkling of it, but not really, Right, you know. but once that's established, and you'll see this in the rest of this interview, you clearly see that this is not... It's like really It's obvious. not reading something into it. It's not no. like Christians often do with a read, an exaggerated message. This was clearly an intentional, and in fact, he mentions... Uh, one of the main insiders here in Hollywood that said, yeah, that's the prevailing view that we believe, and that's how we write into our stories. Mm -hmm. So we are being programmed. And someone else who can program you is Merv, who can tell you how to contact us at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. 
Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. That was a great segue. Thank you so much. Well, we got to go. Come back tomorrow for our next segment. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom. No fan of Gnosticism slash Hollywood slash Gnosticism. Wait, they're the same. Bionic. Well, that's certainly what we, the impression we get from this interview so far. Mm-hmm. And what we've talked with uh, our guest this week, Pastor Joe Shebel, who is the producer of Hollywood's War on God. Mm-hmm. And our theme this week is Hollywood's Gnostic plan to recruit rebels against God. And he Gnosty makes a... Com- Wood. He may, yeah. Hollicism. <laughs> He makes a compelling case, doesn't he? Yeah, it was. I, I was blown yeah. away. Well, judge for yourself on this next segment with Pastor Joe Schimmel. We'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quick. Philip K. Dick, you know, he, he taught that we were all captive in a simulated prison camp, all of us that, were, uh, that was created by these evil forces. And, and you know, he believed that uh, he, he suffered from acute paranoia. He even thought his cat litter box in his house was was uh, bugged by the CIA, you know, and, you but he said, know. we're all prisoners, of, <laughs> yeah, you never know, huh? he said, we're, we're all prisoners of a dream, and he says, Satan has spun a counterfeit reality, but keep in mind, since he's Gnostic, Satan is the creator, okay, he right. says that he, he's designed to bring chaos in the world and bring anarchy, and he says, you know, he said he had a secret love for chaos and, and all these different things, and he feels that he admitted being demon-possessed, he felt that the information regarding his novels that became movies were downloaded in him by these, you know, these demonic powers. Of course, he thinks that these are the good guys and that they're getting their message out, he says, through music, you know, through his novels and obviously through movies. And, well, guess what? You know, via the Wachowski brothers and, and the movie The Matrix, which is a great example of his viewpoint that we're trapped in a dream world, uh, it's being brought to the social screen. It's being brought to hundreds of millions of people's consciousness, this ancient lie from Eden Hmm. When uh, you know w- one gentleman who we've been observing for some time here is Alan Moore, uh, who is the yeah. author of a number of very popular works, including Watchmen, which which I think the original comic book is it seems to me to be the the uh, occultist playbook of eschatology. It's the occultist view. Maybe I can talk with you about this sometime. The, their actual book of Revelation uh, there, but he's famous for the Watchmen, V for Vendetta. Uh, a whole story of rebellion, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, From Hell, and many other productions. Yeah, maybe mostly all became movies from his graphic novels, right? Which, by the way, I just read today. Uh, just read he's got a new production. He's coming out with a new movie that he's going to be writing from himself. You know, he he had a lot of disdain for some of the movie productions of his work, but he's directly sure. involved in a movie and a TV series that relates to a magician type guy like himself who actually takes over the dream state of all of the people in the town of Northampton, where he's from in England, take over that with the intention of taking over all the people of the world. And this is something that was just announced on him. Um, uh, and, and I, 
Yeah, and and I feel that because of his track record and his own uh, pronouncements, that he sort of almost filled the seat of Chief Chief Magus of. Uh, from Aleister Crowley and uh, Jack Parsons for the 21st century. I think he best fits the mold in taking their mantle. Uh, how is he involved with the occult, and, and where does he say he gets his inspiration? Well, it's interesting because he comes straight out, kind of like Philip K. Dick, but even though we speak a little more blatantly because he'll even use the word demon of the spirit that he says possesses him. He says he became possessed by a spirit of uh, cinema, a demon of cinema, he calls it, who possesses him and has given him he didn't have the ability, and then he said, uh, uh, even though he deals in graphic novels, I thought it was interesting, way back when, before any of his stuff was brought to the screen, he was calling it not a demon of graphic novels, he was calling it a demon of cinema uh, that gave him insight into you know, movies and, and cinema and how to reach people and what have you. And he says he found himself in conversation with an entity that uh, surrounded his head and was moving and speaking lucidly, and this being came into his body and uh, is using him, and he became a follower of Aleister Crowley. He admits that he's a Gnostic. He wears, I mean, in our video we show pictures of him, and he looks like kind of like uh, Charles Manson before he was caught, mm -hmm. and he's got all these, you know, rings on with serpents and things of that mm -hmm. nature, and, you know, and, and in his graphic novels, he uh, glorifies Satanism. He glorifies, uh, he does it in a subtle way sometimes, but in V for Vendetta, a lot of people, you know, watch V for Vendetta, and they thought, wow, this is just this great movie, and and what have you, and uh, I was in the midst of researching uh, for Hollywood's War on God, and, and that started out with just doing a video on The Matrix. I was just going, I'm sorry, on Dan Brown's uh, book, and I was just going to do a, 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 right. a, a video on Dan Brown's book exposing the Gnosticism within uh, his stuff, and then I ended up uh, looking at uh, The Matrix, saying, you know what, I'm going to show Gnosticism because I've, you know, I know it's throughout The Matrix, and as a, to illustrate, so I don't lose people because the cosmology can be a little bit complicated, and then it brings it to the fore as related, so you know, relative today. And then, wow, I started to realize, wow, how many movies were Gnostic and V for Vendetta by Alan Moore, <laughs> incredibly so. And and I and I saw the movie, I thought, wow, here's this woman who's like Eve, and she's being initiated into the Gnosis and and so forth. So I went and bought the graphic novel that it was yeah. based upon, not knowing much about Alan Moore, but knowing a bit about Gnosticism. And I began to go through the graphic novel, and, and we show, I mean, we show in our video, uh, you know, V for Vendetta, V, uh, stating, you know, over and over again, I think three different times, he quotes the Satanist, Aleister Crowley, his mm -hmm. maxim, do what thou wilt, shall be the whole of the law. Instead of doing God's will, the Creator's will, since they're opposed to the Creator, let's, you know, do what thou wilt, which was the uh, slogan or the main maxim used by Crowley to mm -hmm. underscore his Satanism, that's found throughout the novel, uh, right. in a... And that also comes, I know Crowley is most associated with that. Of course, he built his whole Thelema and Book of the Law on it. But but even the Hellfire Club, I think, had that when you walked inside it. It was the same kind of direction. But um, and, I, and I want to talk about each of these works. Each of the ones that he's done has added something personal to this. But he actually literally does magical workings when he does shows. He actually right. is a practicing magician. He worships a serpent god, he says, called Glycon, uh, a worship right. god. He does it a little bit with a wink, but he takes his he takes his sorcery and magic very seriously. He has written uh, magical grimoires uh, along with a, another gentleman, another uh, last name of Moore, Steve Moore, I believe, uh, who was a, another guy in the, big in the comics world. But when, you know, when you mention these kind of things, like you say, you almost have to get the graphic novels. 
uh, of which he is now considered a legend. He's considered sort of the Shakespeare of these kind of things. Right, uh, right. Because it gives additional details. Just an example in Watchmen. Uh, I believe what was omitted from the movie, I haven't seen the movie, but I don't think it includes the fact that he uses a fake UFO invasion to attack the nations of the earth as a means by which the Antichrist-type figure in that story is able to get all of the nations to unify into world government and to bring about peace. Uh, and so he uses a lot of these kind of things. And, and in fact, even some of Chris Pinto's documentaries um, helped me to understand, I don't, this not was his intention, but helped me to understand who some of these characters are that he represents as archetypes. Uh, in these books, and I really believe he has right. the occult eschatology down, but he is the man when it comes to currently today in science fiction, heavily revered. Anything he does is likely to be produced and get millions of dollars and has probably the biggest influence on young people in society today. Now, the Da Vinci Code, uh, an, another obviously blockbuster uh, in our society, both the book and then the movie, it also proposes an alternative view to the Christian doctrine regarding Christ's death, resurrection, and second coming. Um, as far as the impact of that, what kind of polling data, what does it suggest on how it has influenced the religious beliefs of the public? Do you have a couple quick factoids on that from your documentary? Yeah, in, in, our, in our documentary, we point out there's uh, 2 million uh, Americans that admitted that they were had been you know influenced by the, the, the worldview of the Matrix and uh, and the Da Vinci Code, actually, yeah. I'm sorry, uh, the yeah. Da Vinci Code. Yeah. And then one in three in, in Canada uh, claim that uh, that there's living descendants of Jesus uh, walking around Earth right now. So you, you're seeing an incredible effect. And real quick, uh, and I like, follow up on what you're saying right there because the influence is, is is mind-boggling when you think about it. But just in regard to what you're saying about Moore, he admitted that you know uh, his work, as you said, was. He's worked magic in his work, but in his own words, he says, most of the effects described in classical magician tradition, he says, I believe and I duplicate with my art. Right. So, and he says he's, and it's part of a shamanistic spell, you know, some of his work. So, I mean, so these mm. spells are being put on people. And then when you look at something like the Da Vinci Code, and, uh, the, if, if, and I bring that other one up because, that other, uh, I bring up uh, more to you again, because you're talking about the effect that this has on humanity. These guys, some of these guys, Especially guys like Moore look at this as spells that they're casting right. on uh, the the public. You know, I've got other mm-hmm. quotes from some of the Hollywood bigwigs who also use the same terminology of casting a spell. And uh, it's interesting because uh, Dan Brown, I mean, the influence he's had that we're talking about right now was so huge. I mean, I had people in the fellowship that I pastor uh, by the grace of God. Nobody in the fellowship itself got into it, but. Several people when it first came out were dealing with people at work and what have you that were their view of Jesus and they you know very nominal right. in a lot of cases but were totally skewed by uh, this Gnostic work and it's totally Gnostic because when you, it's interesting because in the Da Vinci Code again Eve she becomes a goddess you know it's through the right. Gnosis uh, it's through the Louvre Museum which in the pyramid he says has 666 I mean it's like the devil leaves his, his footprints everywhere. There's 666 window panes, which is not true. You can look at the Louvre's website. Mm-hmm. And the 666 window panes is, is inaccurate. But why is he taking the number of the Antichrist and making it a good thing? And then the treasure, the, the supposed treasure at the end of uh, the Da Vinci Code is the tomb of Mary Magdalene. And that's at the bottom of this 666 window pane pyramid structure. And to get to this and find it, they have to crack a code and uh, to get into this 
you know, box mm-hmm. to find the code, and they, they dial in, they, they, they put the letters cross to, as a combination, C-R-O-S-S, and mm-hmm. it doesn't work. The cross doesn't work. That won't get you there. Uh, mm. But what does get you there is the code Apple, A-P-P-L-E. <laughs> wow. Isn't that crazy? Wow. I mean, how blatant could that be? And, you know, um, uh, the, the Da Vinci Code was basically a sort of a dumbed-down uh, fictional version of a, quote, non-fiction, and I use that term loosely, uh, right. a story from books like Holy Blood, Holy Grail, uh, right. from, from, from gentlemen who postulated this theory about this great secret of the bones of Jesus being buried somewhere, which has been thoroughly discounted, uh, has nothing really connected to it. But their central premise that, that really Da Vinci Code is built on is that the Gnostic Gospels written back in the first century were the real Gospels of Jesus, and that the church came in and overwhelmed and put something else instead of what Jesus intended. So, so that's also very blatant Gnosticism acceptance. He's putting these other codes in, and you know this is going to have some kind of programming effect on the public. Uh, as you know and you've documented in your other documentaries, other people are aware of, music, the, the main producers of music, uh, particularly rock music, have said that they are magical spells that are put over people. Uh, Kenneth Anger, who was our top uh, avant-garde filmmaker in America, he made Lucifer Rising. Right. Uh, he said very clearly, he said, each one of these were demonic invocations, every one of my works, when it's actually performed. So they can't really make it clear. I mean, they're they're they're... They're putting it right across the plate for us if we're willing to right. just recognize, right. obviously, that they call this stuff programming for a reason. Television programming, movie programming, it really is the real deal. Now, regarding V for Vendetta, it's probably one of the most blatant ones of the Gnostic worldview where it has a, a lone revolutionary terrorist type who is fighting a totalitarian regime. Uh, and, of course, this was made into a popular movie. What what other references can you mention to Aleister Crowley, drugs, even the devil himself can you find in this kind of work? You've mentioned a few of them. Is there anything else you can add to that? Well, you just uh, when you look at the graphic novel itself, the symbol of uh, the fascist government is the cross. And V has to take down this empire of the cross. Excuse me. Make sure my throat's okay here. Sorry about <laughs> he that. He has to take care of this uh, uh, empire of the cross. But when you watch the movie, the cross symbol, you can still make it out to a degree. But if you didn't know the, the graphic novel, you wouldn't really, really you know, be able to tell where it's coming from. It's a partial cross figure. Uh, you know, the, the bad guy is, you know, one of the bad guys is this minister who is uh, uh, like a molester. Uh, so they make Christianity look as bad as possible. And, in fact, V goes to his house and, and just destroys him. He kills him uh, in the graphic novel. In fact, when he gets there in the graphic novel, not in the movie, uh, the first thing he says when this guy opens the door is, you know, please to meet you, you know, let me uh, introduce myself, you know. And it's the first words from the song Sympathy for the Devil. I mean, word for word, actually. Allow mm-hmm. me to introduce myself and what have you. And he introduced himself basically as the devil. And uh, drugs are used as a as a way of initiation into the occult world, uh, which are forbidden, you know, in, in Scripture uh, as, a, as opening one up to the demonic realm. And throughout the movie, it's basically, uh, you know, it's, Basically, like some of Moore's other stuff, which you've—I uh, could tell you—you you're, you have a good handle on it—is very apocalyptic. Very much, uh, you know, V is like the Antichrist type figure who is to, you know, bring the new world order about, you know, you know, or, or an Antichrist figure that brings the new world order about. But but throughout, uh, not only Moore's work, I mean, Moore admits he's a Satanist in so many words, you know. And then when you look at V for Vedetta, the graphic novel, it's 
totally promoting the teachings of Alessa Crowley. I personally believe that V is supposed to be, you know, basically a, a Crowley persona. So then it comes to the silver screen, and well-meaning ministries like uh, Focus on the Family has a lot of great stuff to say and, and mm-hmm. encourage people regarding family. I saw their write-up on V for Vendetta, and it was a great, you know, write-up on how great the movie was and <laughs> how, you know, how wonderful it was and yeah. how it shows that, you know, we need to be careful of watching government. I thought, oh, Lord God, you know, so many... And this was a discernment uh, yeah. part of that ministry. I thought, you know, it's so hard not to see if you don't really look behind, in, you know, the scenes mm-hmm. and see who's writing. Can, whether. Can, can I make a comment on this, uh, Pastor Joe? Sure. Uh, we cover on our show a lot of what we talk about, Revelation 18, the great city of Babylon, where it says right. that the kings of the earth and the mer- great merchants of the earth conspire together. They use pharmakia by which to deceive the nations of the earth. Right. Amen. We document the stories that happen today where that goes on. People call it the New World Order. They call it different kind of things in the vernacular. Uh, we believe in a biblical worldview of how it's addressed, but we believe it's real. And some of Amen. these shows that we hear out there that talk about the, the, the truth movement hit on a lot of truth that we should have heard in our churches. But they have come forward and saying about the poison in our political parties, in some of our institutions, things, even in America, where America has come across as being really, really virtuous and it's not in parts of the world. Those things have a lot of truth to it. One of the things that's concerned us, though, is while a lot of this stuff is well-meaning for people to get out of materialism, to get out of the parts of the American dream that that really aren't spiritually edifying, uh, there is a tendency to go into the Gnostic path and to associate Orthodox Christian teaching as part of the, the institution, part of the man, part of the problem. You know, we, we know there's a problem with the institutions of government, with our some of our business sector, all these things, but they are taught subtly through some of these groups, David Icke, uh, these different people, to, to associate anything associated with the church or the Christian message as part of it. You've got Michael Tessarian, you've got Zeitgeist and these other things that incorporate that and send things in a Gnostic direction. And V for Vendetta is one of the most powerful works in that respect because it takes Eve, like you say, representing Earth in the, in the beginning and Satan there, actually teaching her the elements of rebellion. And there is actually, just like Satan, you know, he'll take truth and just put a little bit of a lie in it, like you say in the beginning of your documentary. He can take truth about a lot of ills in society that need to be addressed and you need to stand up, but he gives a false solution and a false alternative. So is not V for Vendetta an ideal example of the crossroads for young people today that recognize there's something wrong with the institutions of the world? But Satan deceives them to take approach away from the real solution of, of a truly awakened church. No, in fact, everything you just said was brilliant. Uh, it's great insight because uh, I see the same thing going on. And, and I think Zeitgeist is a great example of that that you mentioned as well. Because then you have people, hey, they're exposing the New World Order. They're saying where it's going. Uh, the, you know, a lot of people wouldn't you know, go to church. They watch it and they're like, wow, this is happening. But they don't have a clue. They don't realize that the, you know, those behind Zeitgeist are leading them to the occult, leading them to Blavatsky and right. you know Masonic type. A lot of their, as you know, if you look at Zeitgeist, there's a lot of lies in there regarding Christ, and and uh, it gets back in, as you said, it points them back to the New Age movement, and uh, it points them in that direction. And also, before they know it, they're, the sources that they're using on Christ aren't primary sources that go way back to Egypt and what have you uh, to say, you know, mm-hmm. Christianity supposedly stole from Egypt, but they're statements made by Luciferians and, uh, you know, those involved in the mystery religions much later. Uh, so they give a, an occult worldview, and then 
it's like, wow, these guys must have truth. Then they get into that occult worldview, and, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what's happening through the movies because it's funneling them into. It's, I mean, some of these exposés that are out there, you and I would agree with huge segments of it, but then there's that bit of poison. It's like, right. you, know, uh, you know, decon's rat poisoning. I remember when I first used right. that to get rid of rats. <laughs> Man, it's a small percentage of poison. And the rest of it's good stuff. Yeah, the rest of it's yeah, exactly. like really good food. They just a little bit of bad stuff mixed in there. But I, 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 and I think Tom would agree with me here that one of the big problems is that we've had a very passive church in America, to say the least, that has overlooked a lot of these evils and materialism in our society, a lack of of holding our own nation accountable in our actions in the world and these other kind of things. Let's just face it, we've got a lot of idols. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of idols. Comes down Even to making America an idol itself, and you see a lot of the, the, the how our patriotism is how it's made manifest in our churches, things like that. And so the people recognize, the younger people recognize, there's something fraudulent there, and because of that, they're Amen. ripe to being steered away to something that's false. So I believe the church has some responsibility to bear in helping create this environment because we haven't been honest with the people and been people of principle in all these issues. We've we've had a good pro-life position, which is great, uh, pro-family, these other kind of things, but we've not always looked at all the other kind of issues where we've exploited others, and whether it's rights or justice or these other kind of things, which also God cares about in addition to this. And because of this, it's created a void that we've allowed somebody else to take a sort of moral high ground and bring their religion along with it, and I think these movies are examples of it. Well, brother, I think you're, you know, hitting on something that is really important. It's easy for us to, uh, you know, uh, you know, point out some stuff that every Christian would agree is wrong. I mean, every Christian pastor can come against pornography or they can come against something right. that's quite obvious or quite important and everybody recognize it. But, you know, entertainment has become a god in our country. So when you start dealing with movies or uh, music or, uh, you know, even American politics, I mean, and think of what happened in Nazi Germany. Uh, I mean, that was in the name of God in many ways. We know that Hitler had right. a Luciferian God, but a lot of the conservatives, it was the confessing church and others that had stood up and were persecuted. But, well, if that happened in Nazi Germany, they were the, you know, progressives of the day, supposedly, uh, in Europe. I mean, we're more ripe uh, now than I think ever, but I agree with you, and I'm speaking from a pastoral perspective as yeah. well, saying, hey, the, the duty is, uh, we've dropped the ball. A lot of ministers, a lot of Christian leaders uh, do not talk about these things. They don't want to. Uh, in fact, you know what? I'll give you an example. Is uh, you know call, called the you know the latest Billy Graham is you know Rick Warren, in his book The Purpose Driven Life. In you know mm-hmm. a lot of part of the book, he talks about uh, you know that Christians. He basically says, I'll sum it up. He basically says says that uh, if you know not to look into Bible prophecy, because if you look into Bible prophecy, uh, it's a trick of the devil, and you basically can forfeit your salvation. Now, what, what I'm doing, I'm summing up, oh yeah, oh yeah, it's like uh, 284, 286 of that, I'd have to uh-huh. go back to my book. But he, he says this, he says, he states uh, in regard to Bible prophecy, and, and I mean, when you talk Bible prophecy, you're talking about almost, about, you know, one-fourth of the Bible, <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, the Lord God said in his word, right. you know, I have to take away from this book of prophecy, the book of Revelation. And it's interesting because Rick Warren, in his book, he states that, well, Jesus' disciples, he's, he's talking about end times, whether we should be concerned about end times as Christians. And he says, you know, Jesus' disciples asked him about, you know, the signs of the times. And he says, Jesus basically said none of your business to them. And then he goes on to explain. And what he's doing is going to the book of Acts when they wanted to know the, you know, 
talked about would he mm-hmm. at this time establish his kingdom. Right. And then he encourages them to go out and witness all the loss, and it's in the Father's time to restore the kingdom of Israel. So Rick Warren takes that, he jumps to the conclusion that, hey, you know, obviously it's, you know, it wasn't any of their business, we shouldn't be paying attention to it. The devil will use prophecy, he says, to sidetrack you from your, 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 your Christian walk. And then he says, not only that, he says that, and if you get into it, he says, you'll be like the one who has put his hand to the plow and then look back and not be worthy of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. So that, I thought, well, I read that, I thought, you know what, uh, you know, I'd already been on to Rick Warren, and I yeah. recognized that. In my opinion, he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Personally, I did a whole thing on his mm-hmm. uh, joining the Islamic movement to join Christians and Muslims together to bring world peace on my website. But when I saw that, I thought, you know, oh, Lord God. I mean, Peter says we do well to look into the word of prophecy as it you know, approaches. And Jesus' longest sermon, I mean, typically people think it's the Sermon on the Mount, which, you know, and praise God, we need that basic teaching of what it means to be a Christian. I just spent three years at our fellowship Sundays teaching through the Sermon on the Mount. But his longest sermon, if you put Mark 13, Matthew 24, and Luke 21 together, all the discourse, mm-hmm. that's his longest sermon, you know. And and, mm-hmm. and uh, on the end times, preparing them for the end, the only one that didn't uh, copy this or, or or write down what Jesus had said later was John. And mm-hmm. I believe the reason God didn't have John write it down is because he had him write the Book of Revelation. Yeah. You know? Well, Pastor Joe, so, if I could if I could use this example you cited to sort of further the premise that I've mentioned. Uh, we're keen on Bible prophecy here. A lot of the subject matter we cover right. relates to aspects of Bible prophecy. However, at the same time, some of the most popular, uh, well-financed and supported segments of the Bible prophecy community, uh, a lot of those create a culture and an environment, even though we're equally enthusiastic about it, they create an environment of let's hunker down and get out of here, don't worry about you know, really redeeming people and in our society in the long term. Let's just wait. We know it's all going to go down. Just plug out and wait for it to happen. And in fact, many times you, they can't wait till they hear the bombs start falling in the Middle East and elsewhere because that means we're right. one step closer to Jesus. Not thinking about there's innocent men, women, and children who are over there that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And and every day that the Lord tarries, although we all desire the Lord's return, every day He tarries is an opportunity for us to grasp or to lose to share the gospel with people even people of different faiths that are seeking God but to need, need to hear the truth of Jesus Christ we need to absorb that so you know I, I can be sympathetic a little bit to what Rick Warren is saying is that if, if he sees the prophecy people as being ones who just want the world you know to go literally to hell in a handbasket while they're going to go over there and wait in the bunker that that's not what right. God's called us to do. We have work to do, uh, but He still yeah. sells us a false alternative to say, "Well, then prophecy is evil in and of itself." Because I believe that yeah. the Lord's coming back soon, that's why I need to get busy and do those kind of things. That's yeah, why amen. I need to care about my community. That's why I need to not plug amen. out of my community, run of the hill. I need to get out in the streets and do things because He's coming soon. You know, I could go tomorrow. I could get hit by a bus. I could go at any time. But there's coming a amen. day when all of our institutions. Their work is going to be done. Every every ministry we have, everything else in total will come to a closure, and all of the fruit for the kingdom we can do will be done then. So now is the time to work. People who believe in the Lord's return should be out doing what Rick Warren proposes that we should be doing in that kind of work. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, please allow me to introduce myself. My name is Tom Bionic. Bionic. Okay. I'm, I'm confused. Yeah. I, yeah, I think wasn't that it was about a- the devil? Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm. But I'm, I'm not really slick. the devil. I'm Tom Bionic. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
basically he makes a clear case, particularly Alan yeah. Moore just particularly wants to adopt. V for Vendetta is very obvious, you know, that song. I'm glad I'm glad I sang that song as sort of a jest because it brings up the topic that right. here he was singing a song, the main character was singing a song about, you know, it was written about the devil. All right. Someone who's not the devil is Merv who can tell you how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the shows, topics, or guests, or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. We have to go. All right, let's hit it. Come back for the next segment tomorrow. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And Tom. Let's take another look at Hollyism. Bionic. Hollyism. Nasty wood. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I like the holly and the ivy. No. Nope. Right. Okay. Unless ivy is like a Gnostic symbol. Well, could be. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking this week with Pastor Joe Schimmel, the producer of Hollywood's War on God. And our theme is Hollywood's Gnostic plan to recruit rebels against God. Mm-hmm. And we have a number of surprises still awaiting our guests, don't we? Our listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, Pastor, Jim, Pastor Schimmel is going to pick up where we left off here, uh, and then we'll be right back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. Well, I would, I would agree to a degree. I'd say that, uh, in, you know, in very much, I mean, I agree it's 98% of what you're saying, except that last part as far as doing what he's saying that we should do it, be doing, only because he not only gives a, uh, you know, he now throws a baby out with the bathwater. I yeah. mean, you definitely got to be in the Bible prophecy. If you're a student of the Bible, then you're a student of the Bible prophecy because it's a big portion of the Bible. But as far as reaching out to people, helping people with social needs and what have you, I mean, I'm all for that. I'm all yeah. for witnessing. And in fact, when I got here, I had to chase like 20 kids out of my house because they're all getting together to go witnessing. And this is what yeah. it's, it's wow. uh, That's Thursday, cool, you know. And yeah. we have a huge, uh, and we got like 35 people signed up to yeah. go to our trip. I'm going to be on as well to Uganda uh, at the beginning of the year to, to help AIDS orphans and what have you. So yeah. we're all about that, and we can't right. miss that. You're exactly right. But Rick Warren, what he's doing is he's saying, hey. We're gonna. What we're gonna do, and this is where what I have struggle with, is we're going to not only, you know, he steers them from what Bible prophecy says, and I believe part of the reason he's doing that is because it exposes his agenda. Because his agenda is to bring, uh, is he says that Christ won't come back, and it's different than what I believe the Bible teaches. Yeah, right. Won't come back until everybody's a Christian and the world has become the kingdom of God. Hmm. So he's working with the UN. He's working with. He claims to be a member of sure. the Council on Foreign Relations. That's all millennialism. That's the same yeah, thing the Dominionists. Same thing the Dominionists right. teach, is that it's he's not going to come together until he pulls it off. That's right. Yeah, I don't want you to misunderstand me on that. I'm not saying that we should take the rationale for why he does it. Uh, every cup of water we give is supposed to be in Jesus' name. Amen, e- bro. Everything yeah, I totally is given. Agree with that. But we need to be passing out those cups of water while we tell them that their sins can be forgiven. And that there well, is a way through Jesus Christ. And, and, and that's what the world is looking for. They're looking for Christians who care, who care about their suffering and their needs, and they also need to know the way to heaven. And it's not an either-or. We don't have to pick a choice in a row. Jesus did both. 
He Amen. went about he, healing, feeding, and telling them about the kingdom of heaven simultaneously. Amen. And I'll just say that uh, it's very refreshing, you know, talking to you guys because uh, some, you know, either people miss it on one side, right? You know, they miss it on the other. Exactly. You guys are praise God. That's my heartbeat as well. It was like, hey, we're supposed to be out there reaching lost, and, and Jesus is coming should motivate us because He said the gospel of the kingdom would be preached in all the world. Then the end would come. You know, and that last sinner comes to Christ, according to Romans, Paul says, uh, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, then the deliverer will come out, out of Zion. So that should motivate us to witness the lost and the, to bring them to Christ and, and reach as many uh, people as possible. And the fact that we were once lost in our sins, dead and in our sins and going to hell, uh, and the gospel was brought to us, Jesus said, you freely receive, you know, freely give. And not just with the message, but as you mentioned, with the cold glass of water. You know, I think it's right. important. I told the congregation, when we go to Uganda, I said, you know, we go to Uganda, we're not going to ask for one penny, not that they would expect that anyway. I, I shun, you know, I, I kind of went, took the pen the other way. I'm the worst kind of uh, guy at raising funds because, <laughs> anyway, I said, what we're going to do is we're going to bring all kinds of stuff there. We're going to bring, you know, I'm going to do a pastor's conference, speak to, hopefully it'll still happen. It's signed up for like four or 500 Ugandan pastors and give them a bunch of videos free so they'll bring them back to the churches so they'll have teach discernment because a lot of the lies that are here get there late. But it's 100, 100% agreement. In fact, it, it is often, and the enemy makes it easy uh, to characterize it as an either-or issue when it really is both. We need to do both. Right. Well, it, either one impedes us being successful in the mission the Lord's given us to do. Some people cannot hear our teaching on the kingdom of heaven because their stomachs are too hungry or because they're receiving injustice and they're stuck in prison unfairly. There are other people that are doing all these kind of wonderful things, like you say, rubbing shoulders with the U.N. and everyone else, but they're not helping the eternal states one iota. And what they're doing because they sold out for that, and I don't, I don't think we that that is an artificial choice we're given, and it is not a choice that Jesus Christ had. He met all our needs. He told the disciples while he's teaching them about the kingdom of heaven. He says, you know, "Disciples, give them something to eat." You know, he's giving them the bread of life, and we're giving them the bread for their belly at the same time. And shame on us if we don't do both and decouple the two. Yeah, amen, amen, um, brother. I agree. Now, there, there's some specific things. If there's any doubters in our audience or people who view your documentary that think you're overreaching, because overreaching is a common phenomena, even in our Christian circles. I know we've probably done it at times in our speculations. Speak for yourself. But <laughs> just to give you an example of how, how much they wink at us and do this, there was a re- reference to 311 in The Matrix. I believe it was on board the Nebuchadnezzar. Mark, 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 Mark 311. Yeah, Mark 311. What can you do? You remember what that had happened to relate to, and how this relates to what we're talking about in the, in yeah, the Matrix? Yeah, because the Matrix, in the Matrix, uh, Neo Anderson, he's the occult savior. He's the you know. Remember Philip K. Dick? His whole thing is you know what we're put in this you know dream world. We're right. prisoners in this illusion. So in the Matrix, the AI, the computer, puts humans in you know a matrix, and they're in a, they're basically dreaming, thinking that they're alive, and he's basically using dead humans to feed living humans so he can energize his own, you know, existence. So there's and it's a picture of Yahweh and Gnosticism doing that with us humans in, in some form or some way. So what's interesting is in the Matrix, there has to be this occult savior as Gnosticism and many Gnostic, especially Gnostic eschatology, you've got this occult savior, which will, we know will ultimately be the Antichrist. But in the movie The Matrix, it's Neo Anderson. And by the way, their name Neo means new, and right. Anderson means son of man. He's the new son of man and as a new son of man he's got to take the red blue or the blue or blue pill 
and he decides to take the pill that will give him the gnosis. He gets initiated. Mm-hmm. He goes through his baptism, and then uh, the ships that uh, you know the ship that that he associates with are one of the ships is called the gnosis. There's a clue of gnosis mm-hmm. right there. Well, he finds his material one, world is not real, right? The material world, the matrix he comes out of, was not a real world, and there was something bigger going on. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's not a real world. It's like this isn't real, and the you know to be free from the physical body is real life and Gnosticism, which is such a lie. And what happens is, you know, there's clues in uh, the Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, you only call one ship the Gnosis, but the Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, Lord God, Nebuchadnezzar is the, mm-hmm. was, sure. you know, he was a picture of the Antichrist who took the, the captive, uh, the, the southern kingdom in about five, I believe, 86 B.C. And he was a picture of the Antichrist, you know, that he caused people to worship him. Uh, and, and in fact, he's the one that had the vision that, that Daniel the Dream that Daniel was able to uh, yeah. reveal, which is all about sure. the coming C3 Antichrist, as the last part of that image, and he was the first part, the head of gold, and there were 60, you know, 60 cubits high, 6 cubits wide, 6 right. instruments used to worship it, 666, I mean, it's all there. He has a picture of the Antichrist, and they name one of their ships after it, and there you have Mark 311 on that ship, and Mark 311 is basically the confession of demons, uh, that Jesus is the Son of God when they're under uh, duress because they fear in his presence, but... I believe the context there in the Matrix is identifying Neo, uh, who boards that ship as, you know, the Son of God. And and what he ends up doing is he ends up fighting against the AI, uh, and mm-hmm. which is a representation of God. And mm-hmm. at the very end of the first Matrix, he basically tells him, you know, uh, and I haven't, I haven't uh, seen that movie in a while, but I can mm-hmm. sum it up. He says, there's no, I'm going to tell the people, this is what Neo Anderson says, he says, I'm going to tell the people that there's no rules, you know, there's no borders, there's no boundaries, that mm-hmm. they, 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 anything goes. And basically, that is the message of Satanism. Do what thou wilt. Do you don't really have to follow that yeah. moral law, you know? Right. Right. And the someone who created the material existence is also the one who creates law. Therefore, they're both evil uh, in of right. themselves. Now, the interesting thing you made a point of in that movie is about Zion, the, the place where, you know, he's trying to save these people. And the actual images that are conjured, we associate more with hell. It's a subterranean land. It's buried below, very sensual in the activity that goes on. It, 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 isn't it not more of a, a kind of picture? You know, Zion would be a metaphor of a blissful place of a freed people to be. I mean, that's what we understand. Zion is a metaphor. Even the New Jerusalem will live on a free, liberated people. They also have that same image of people who come to fruition, of what their end destiny is, where they're really liberated. But theirs right. is a very different environment of what they use their metaphor Zion, is it not? It, it, it's one that's really a, a sensual, subterranean kind of existence. Right. Yeah, in Gnosticism, you have two different ways of dealing with matter, because matter is evil, and one is the pure asceticism, staying away from anything that has to do with the flesh, don't even have a baby, you know, don't eat meat kind of right. thing. Uh, but then you also have the libertines, uh, licentious, you know, activity, uh, do what thou wilt. Crowley was a full-blown libertine Gnostic. The Gnostics in the second century, some of the Gnostics, they'd wear crowns of serpent crowns, they, I mean, dried out serpents, uh, worship uh, at stake holes, and they would uh, have sexual relations with one another. They would uh, have babies just to abort and eat them as part of a uh, as a sacrament, like they were doing the Lord's Supper. And they were incredibly lascivious. And it was basically, you know, basically let's let's celebrate our rebellion against this Creator, you know, and almost like flaunting it. And and that is more of what you see in the Matrix in in their Zion, because in Zion, in the Matrix, it's basically, you know, it looks like what you know could have happened at uh, the bottom of. This, you know Mount Sinai, right? When the golden calf, golden calf. Yeah, you know, and, and it was—it's all inverted because, as we remember, it's, it's an actual inversion of who God and Satan mm-hmm. is. 
So instead of Zion, which is above, as the scriptures mention, you know, uh, and, you know, represented in, in, in Israel on land, but, uh, the Zion, which is above, it mentions in Hebrews, this Zion, as you mentioned, is subterranean. It's, it's identified in the movie as by the core of the earth. It's very yeah. dark. It looks like you're in hell. But of course, yeah, people aren't in torment, separated from God. They're, they're, they're writhing in ecstasy, dancing and partying and everything else, which is one of Satan's right. other lies. But yeah, it goes with the inversion, uh, that you're talking about. Sure. Um, now, something else that is referred to in this movie, and I think you can tie it even some of these other ones, um, is this idea that separation of the material world often leads to acts of violence, that there is a, there is a violence associated with it. And in fact, I think, wasn't it even mentioned that the Matrix was an influence on, uh, was it Dylan Klebo, that the two boys at Columbine? Wasn't this oh, yeah. something that actually influenced them about the evil of the material world that, that often would trigger a violent response? Yeah, they were influenced by a, a different, you know, different things, uh, but they were definitely influenced by the movie The Matrix. They, they listed that as a movie that they would watch again and again and again, and, and their worldview was influenced by The Matrix. In fact, the Boston Globe, which is uh, not known as the most conservative yeah. paper, no, they had the a whole least. story on different people who were, uh, who, you know, used, were using what was called, you know, it was it was using the matrix uh, defense and using when they killed people, uh, stating that they were influenced by the matrix and they didn't think it was real, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, in fact, I think the DC killer, you know, he was influenced by the right. matrix. So it's crazy. It, it is part of our subconscious of our society, and it is leading. People are today worried in the news about people who read the Bible coming up with crazy ideas and religious fundamentalists, you know, going after people. Right. But it's actually this teaching that is creating a violent effect in people when they hear this and do acts basically of rebellion. It is a it, it is a belief system of rebellion at its core. And one movie that I was not that familiar with, although I know it's a popular movie and also is part of our, our public consciousness of the younger generation, is a movie Fight Club. And you, sh- right? yeah. you showed a scene in yeah. there that put all of this in perspective in a nutshell. When, when, when the gentleman's getting his arm burned and he's being confronted by the other gentleman in there and he explains what's going on with his father and how it ties to God. C- c- can you explain what, what was said there in that thing about, about God and his very nature uh, yeah. in that one scene? Yeah, he basically, uh, I mean, there you have Brad Pitt, uh, you know, basically stating that, uh, you know, God is evil, you know, that God is... Uh, and he that, hates that God us. Basically, he hates us, he's bound us, and, and we got to be set free. And the fight club was, it was almost like Gnostic, a Gnostic form of therapy to, to really find out that you were alive, you know, that you have to get beat up and beat other people up to really experience, uh, you know, an inner awakening of, of who you really are. And yeah, it's amazing, and that's kind of interesting that you brought that up, brother, just now after what you just said, because of you know violence being uh, right. a way of salvation is basically what you see in the, the Fight Club. Right. In fact, yeah. you know what? I just read to the congregation a few weeks ago a, a quote from Brad Pitt uh, in an interview, and I thought it was quite interesting. And he, he talks about how uh, he's like the prodigal that never returned to God, and uh, he states uh, in another quote he says. And it's quite amazing. He says, you know, if you're looking, and he's speaking in reference to the Fight Club when they're interviewing him in regard mm-hmm. to the Fight Club. I wasn't doing anything on the Fight Club. I was just talking about the spiritual emptiness and the vacuum that's in the hearts of so many of these people that are so idolized in our day. And I gave this long quote from Brad Pitt saying that, you know, 
uh, I'm empty inside. Don't look for me for the answers. I haven't found it. I don't, I don't, you know, yeah. I wake up in the morning and I don't have the answers. I'm empty. I'm this guy. He is incredibly rich. He's yeah. beloved by right. millions of fans. He wakes up next to Angela Jolie right. and he's empty. I mean, that shows you what life is like without Christ. And everybody wants to emulate him. Everybody wants to, if I can only be like that, if I can act like that and be like that, That's then right. I'd be somebody. And they're the most empty people in the world. But, you know, the, the, the rest of that quote, that he had there in that event, he says, you know how our do- our dads were never there for us? What about right. what about God? He's not there for us. What if he doesn't even care for you? What if he hates you? And then he says, he curses someone, says, you know, blankety-blank redemption. Uh, blankety-blank anything about, you know, basically being reunited with God through Jesus Christ. It, it is an ultimate act, yet again, of rebellion, of rebelling against the Creator, and, and and this physical harm is used as a key to denote that. It's almost like it's a re- it's a rebellion against the physical world, but also it's this is a body that God gave us. And when you harm this physical body, it's an indirect way, I guess, to harm God. When you when you harm, you know, we Christians believe it's the temple of God. Uh, right. when we have the entwelling, but they believe it's a way to harm it. So I've got to think that some of the same kind of thinking, even subconsciously, is behind all of this movement where people do self-mutilation and the carving and the other kind of things. I know some of it is low self-esteem and, and a bunch of reasons, but even the demons. You look in the New Testament, you have demons that would take the man and throw him into the fire or do other things right. to harm their bodies. This is a hallmark of satanic activity. Or at least say no, 100%. The man that was uh, the demoniac that was, which bolsters your point, was uh, possessed at the tombs of the Gadarenes, you know. He was constantly cutting himself over and over again. And, mm. and he's possessed by a legion of demons. And they hate humanity. We're made in the image of God, and they're jealous. And, and they know their time is pretty short, and they're going to try to bring. And you know what? They got it. They can't. Satan can't just snatch us with some God's hand. He can't just take people to hell. He's the father of lies. So he has to use compelling lies. And I have to admit. Gnosticism is a very compelling lie if you don't know the truth right. uh, on certain levels. You know, right. that's why Satan makes such fair with it. Uh, such a great time with it through movies. In fact, I was I mentioned uh, the movie Avatar uh, recent, you know, just a minute, uh, a few minutes ago. But in that movie, uh, you have a, you know, it's basically uh, it's a It's just like these other ones. And I know that's not in Hollywood's War on mm-hmm. God because I did that long before Avatar came out. But you might be interested to know how it parallels it. Is you know this this the avatar he actually is coming into another body into another realm you know and when he goes to this realm he's actually using a hybrid body which isn't his own he's like the eon that uses the body uh, when he goes into and becomes the avatar and avatar by the way is the name of a uh, a new age savior in fact Benjamin Cram mm-hmm. talked about the coming Christ sure. as being an avatar uh, he's been saying that for some time calling him an avatar so the avatar comes to uh, save everybody but when he comes. Uh, he doesn't have the power, and all of a sudden these things from you know this the, the, this tree of life come and light on him and show that he, even though he's found out to be an invader, they realize, wow, he's from another dimension or another world, another planet, but look, he's got this anointing, and that's that false anointing mm-hmm. as a false Christ. And then he be- begins to finally, he, he's rejected at first, he comes back, uh, mm-hmm. and he's accepted, whereas the other guy, the general, who is the enemy and wants to destroy everything, he is portrayed as incredibly wicked, and, and what's happened is he's been to this planet once before. He was rejected, and he comes back a second time in the Armageddon scenario. This time he has a, and he has a scar 
from his first time coming, <laughs> being rejected by the people. Mm. And they ask him, because this is in the future, and they're saying, hey, how come you know you don't have cosmetic surgery? He goes, because I want to remember yeah. what I went through when I was there. But he comes in this Armageddon-like scenario as a, like a picture of Christ, right. and he's made to be so evil. And Avatar, you know what? He can't get the power, though. Where does he get the power? Well, it's not until, now there's all these little pastel-colored type, I should say not green and different colors, blacks, you know, different dragons that are just a little bit bigger than the the the, uh, the uh, hybrid Indians there. Right. But there's a huge dragon that everybody fears that's the ruling dragon, and he's a big red dragon. And and when he gets the power of this great red dragon and rides this great red dragon, uh, he unites. Actually, you don't even know there's other tribes on this planet. And then he unites these other tribes uh, together to fight against this threat that's coming to in this Armageddon-type wow. scenario. So everybody unites. And he's got the power of the great red dragon. When he gets off the red dragon, people saw that he has the red dragon because nobody could tame it. Everybody begins to worship him. And it's amazing. And, they, and then all of a sudden, he's, you know, emerges victorious and he defeats this evil general with the scar. And what's amazing is in the book of Revelation, it says, you know, uh, sure. that the, the red dragon is called the red dragon in Revelation 12. And then in right. Revelation 13, the dragon gives his power to the beast. And who can make war with the beast? Pa and, pa Pastor and all Joe, the world will worship him. Pastor Joe, if I could just interrupt you for a minute, because I, I sure. our, our future quake listeners are pretty savvy folk, and I'm sure they're connecting their dots and gasping collectively now. But, but where the where the bottom line is on this, and you have every one of these prominent, really thinking cerebral movies that we have in this list here that you cover, all reinforce the same message. And basically we're in a situation, you said something a few minutes ago very important. You said that this message is basically very seductive, and it could be very enticing for people if they didn't know the finer points and the details. And so we've got, we, th these movies are so influential with so much of culture, anybody, right. at least from their 30s on down, is largely making their worldview from these movies. So right. while we have untold millions, millions upon millions of people being directly taught their gospel through these things, whether they admit it or not, it becomes part of their vernacular. They, when they write, when they send messages to each other, it's under the context or the pretext that people understand the matrix. When you mention the red pill or the blue pill, or they talk about the matrix or this or that, they understand right. that yeah. is a common, just like how we used to all know about the Bible. It used to be people would always know. You'd mention a, a parable, and everybody knew what you were talking about. These days, these movies are the common shared collective consciousness of society. So we have right. all of these people sitting in churches, most of them half asleep, we have, and I'm, I'm going to do an unfair characterization here, but you've got a number of pastors around the country preaching messages like, everybody says God is dead, which was the argument of the 1960s, totally unaware, they're totally aware of what's going on these days, so they're not reaching these people where the rubber meets the road with this kind of information and recognizing, first of all, not recognizing the Gnostic first century revival to be able to actually label this for what it is when it's been revived. But we have so many Christians who are sitting on the couch looking for entertainment, looking for right. entertainment venues at home and even in their own churches. They're looking for more opulent music or sets or just different kind of things or, or, or just totally get behind their patriotism or other kind of stuff while they're totally ignorant and cannot... Uh, articulate what the Gnostic worldview is 
how it's being expressed in these movies which are defining our culture, and to be able to go direct these people directly. We mentioned the demoniac, and and, and actually the demoniac had had lifestyle traits that are similar to a lot of young people today. Self-destructive behavior, rebellion, not being controlled by the people in the environment where they are. And what does Jesus do? Jesus is over in the godly country across the Sea of Galilee. He's over there where they're actually having a debate about theological things. And he says, let's get in this boat and go to the Decapolis where these wild, crazy people are. And as I understand it, the Decapolis was an area of considered of great, great evil and rebellion in general. That that the the people of Israel did not want to go over there because it was steeped in pagan idolatry. So where does Jesus choose to go? He chooses to go there. He goes to the seat of where the oppression is, and he goes, and in fact they encounter resistance. The storms come up, and I'm sure the apostles thought that was part of the demonic resistance to what they were doing. And Jesus just says, knock it off. We've got a mission to do. And he goes and reaches directly to that man you know, why why his disciples are afraid to be there and reaches out and addresses him right where he is. And I'm afraid the American church, except for examples like your work and some other people we cover here, the church as a whole has tremendous money. We have tremendous buildings and assets and beautiful facilities. But we're not being educated on the things that are really driving mm-hmm. the ship in our society and taking the great resources we have and our education and going out in the streets and meeting people where they're at. You know what? Uh, you make a great point there, and it's interesting too with regard to the Decapolis and your application of that story. Is uh, when the when they found out that Jesus had exorcised this man of the, the demons, and uh, the pigs had all gone to you know was down in the sea. Here's a man everybody knew about. I mean, he had to be the talk of the town for some time because they had to chain him in that place, which was you know the best they could do with their type of mental institution, and he would constantly break the chains and and what have you. So he must have been the boogeyman at the time. And rather than being thankful that he'd been delivered and he'd been set free from, you know, satanic powers, they were more concerned about the money they lost with regard to the pigs. Right. And I think mm-hmm. that's a big part of the problem in the church today is we're more concerned, as you're saying, about, you know, the American dream and things of this nature than reaching souls for the Lord and, and bringing Jesus to people and the kingdom that's forever. The Bible says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but peace, love, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And a lot of Christians aren't experiencing that because they're not spending time uh, uh, with Jesus in prayer, in, in, in the Word of God, mm-hmm. in fellowship with other Christians. So they have, you know, they experience that same void sometimes that Brad Pitt was talking about, and they try to get fulfilled through these lies that don't fulfill the icons that represent these lies. And I, it's, a, it's a return we need to the Scripture. In fact, it's interesting that you brought up that he, you know, you're basically saying Jesus was confronting the darkness, which is so true. I think it's interesting along those lines in Matthew 18, not long before Jesus is going to die, he did the same thing with the disciples. He took them into Caesarea, and Caesarea was a long way, you know, from Jerusalem and a long way actually up from Galilee as well, right. which many of them were so familiar with. And it was a very paganized area where the sure. Greek and Roman gods were still, I mean, being heavily worshipped. It was pagan territory, and it was there uh, near uh, what was called the uh, Gates of Hell. Right. I assume I've been there a few times. Uh, and I don't know that he was standing right there. I think he was in the distance, but it's a huge rock outcropping that people knew to be called the gates of hell or representative of uh, Satan's kingdom. And there's, mm-hmm. you go there today, you'll still see the nooks where the, the demon gods were worshipped. Sure, like by and the grotto the, of Pan, right, out in that area? Right, yeah. It was, yeah, Pan worship took place there, exactly, right. and where you panic. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And, Tom, did you know that the main character in uh, Fight Club was really the same as the other main character? Bionic. 
Oh, now you've given away the uh, the big punchline of the movie. Yeah, it's Gnosticism, man. <laughs> it's total. It's totally Gnostic. Here we were trying to promote the movie itself. Yeah. What was that he said? Like maybe the one main character says to another, "Well, has it ever occurred to you that maybe God wouldn't want you or something like that?" It, it, that totally was the crazy. most amazing thing I heard. See, I hadn't seen the movie. Mm-hmm. It was just a clear defiance of God. Against well, redemption, against and that him. movie was before I became a Christian. Was formative in my growing up years. Oh, great! So you really understand the risks that are here for people, mm-hmm. very clearly. Yeah. That's why I don't watch TV. Good idea. Just listen to Future Quake. Yep. Uh, somebody else that's not risky is Merv, who can tell you how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Right. We, have, we have to go. That is. Come back for our last segment tomorrow. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom. No fan of Hollyism. Slash Gnosticism. Wait, I already used it. Middle name. Yeah, bionic. I'm. I'm. Doctor, no fan of redundancy. Bionic. Too late. <laughs> future. <laughs> what? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're back at the Future Quake Show here for our fourth segment of our interview this week with Pastor Joe Schimmel, the producer of the documentary Hollywood's War on God. We're talking about the Hollywood's Gnostic plan to recruit rebels against God. Uh, a um, premise which I think he's very clearly defined consistently in mm-hmm. this, um, much more so than other document documentaries on some something similar themes. Mm-hmm. He does a very well laid out it. thesis here, and it's clear in your nose. But we'll let you all judge. Here's our last segment with Pastor Joe Schimmel, and we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. He, he said, "This is where I'm going to establish my church," Amen. and he also transfigured himself. And he showed that this battle was spiritual, it was not physical. If his apostles wanted a zealot to go attack Rome, what what Jesus said was, Rome is not your enemy. The principalities and powers, you know, those that came down, you know, from Mount Hermon in this area, these are the powers that we're facing as a kingdom. And so he went right on the enemy turf and says, I'm establishing my army right here. Uh, this is a spiritual army, the church. It's established right. here on your turf, and, and gates of hell give up. Right here, you're not going to yeah. prevail against right. it. And I'm going to transfigure myself and tie myself to, to, to even our history with the law and the prophets, with Moses and Elijah, and show that this spiritual battle, the principalities and powers are doomed uh, with what's going on. But, you know, it, it would like where we are in the church today would be like if Jesus and if the apostles said, I wonder why those people in the Decapolis aren't getting on their ship and coming over here and hearing about the great theological teaching we have. We we have a we have synagogues over here. We have great discourse on theology, and they would uh, learn a lot if they would just get in that ship and come across the Sea of Galilee. Because uh, heaven forbid we wouldn't go over there because it's real dangerous and we'd be outnumbered and be very uncomfortable. But Jesus would have none of that. 
Jesus said, let's get a ship and get over there and set the captives free. And I'm afraid in our churches we have incredible theological discussions and debates and, you know, talk about the carpet and whether it's right to have this kind of music or not in our church. While the while right. people are just atrophying, we have from the Brad Pitts on down, all having the same experience, they are not going to walk into the church on their own. Now, the Holy Spirit may do a special work with them individually, and he will only send them to churches that are healthy. The, the, the Holy Spirit is going to send them somewhere where they can actually be fed. So we have to have healthy churches to welcome them. But we also need to go out to where they are. So I, I, I want to like challenge... I standing up and clapping listening to you two guys talk like this. Well, <laughs> but you know, the thing is... I do. It, it's one so thing inspiring. to know what to do. It's another thing to do it. And, and if our Futurian listeners, which are some of the most together Christian people I know of... If, if they say, what can we do? If this is true, well, then, then what can we do other than talk about it? I would suggest you go get, first get you a copy of this documentary, watch it yourself, sort of marvel at what you learn from it, then go buy a case of them. Uh, go take one to your pastor and say, could I show this to the youth group at church? It's critical. Here, pastor, you watch it first. You see how it will be of value, and then let us show it to the youth group and maybe even to our church. Now, I've already done this at our own church. And the pastor said, hey, that'd be great. We'd like to see it. So everybody do that at your church. Then what I suggest you do is take your remaining uh, uh, DVDs and give it to your family members. If you've got some young people, some nieces or nephews or other kind of people, make it sort of a unique Christmas gift. You don't know what to buy them. They've got everything already. Give it to them. If they're getting ready to go to college, it's a great college gift. To let them see this kind of material. There's other material, and it is fascinating. Okay, it, Once they watch it, they're going to say, hey, this is the kind of stuff I can really chew my teeth on because I can relate to this. This relates to the world that I'm in, what people are talking about. And they will be armed when they're around their friends talking about all this stuff. They will be armed with the right information. And when you, if you have a, a true biblical worldview and understand this kind of thing, I don't care who you're with. People will marvel at people who have answers, just like Jesus' teaching. People marveled because he taught with authority. And the only way we can have authority is if we're informed and educated by what's going on in the world, and that's what your documentary is all about. Sorry, I didn't mean to get preaching there, but this no, is something it's, great, extre- bro. <laughs> it's extremely important. Uh, now, talking about violent act, the ultimate violent act is the act of suicide. Uh, and suicide, they put in glamorized terms, is the ultimate way to get out of this physical existence and to win. It's the ultimate rebellion. You know, I can remember a long, long time ago out in Southern California, Pastor Gary and these guys who talked about rock and roll teaching, you know, and he, I remember he mentioning uh, back in the 80s on cable, talking about how suicides was the devil's trophy case. And how the, these were the trophies that Satan had for people. If he could get people to totally destroy themselves, that's the ultimate end game he has for every person out there. Um, are, are there not some references you mentioned in the Matrix and elsewhere where, where people chose that as their ultimate form of rebellion? Even even in Fight Club, in that sort of what is attempted by the man at the end to sort of get free from how he's tormented? Right, exactly. I think, uh, yeah, there's a... Uh uh, different matrix or different Gnostic films where uh, the the body just means absolutely nothing, uh, and again that's exemplified in you know in the Fight Club at the end. Yeah, with you know basically you're you're free. Uh, you know, there's another Gnostic movie called Dark City, and right. you know when and everybody goes to sleep at night. That's when you know the city's rearranged and it's this big illusion, and there's you know spirits involved, and they're basically supposed to be aliens and 
in that movie, a man steps in front of a train, you know, yeah. because he can't escape it, and then he just steps in front of a train, and and it's it's amazing because you know Jesus said it'd be better that a large millstone be hung around your neck and you'd be thrown in the depths of the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. But you have uh, Satan who comes to kill, steal, and destroy, mm-hmm. constantly feeding the message of uh, suicide uh, through not only various movies, especially Gnostic type movies, message that we don't mean anything. And and also through a lot of the music that's out there today, uh, Rihanna, Rihanna, who's got a sure. really popular song called you know it's on Russian Roulette basically, mm-hmm. and videos about her, you know, and she's she glamorizes it, and uh, of course you know she can say well I'm using it as a metaphor and what have you, but you know what a lot of kids don't understand metaphors if that right. was truly her intention, you know what I'm saying? Right. And the and the devil is so insidious that he would take something that, that on the outside we can see as blatant harmful activity against these people and somehow convince it that it is an act in their own interest and good. And this this gets Satan great joy to be able to convince people that they voluntarily choose to do something the ultimate harm for themselves eternally, uh, you know, as as well as in the physical world itself. So um that, that's how they really turn this belief. It's so subtle how the God who loves us, who gave us a physical body, the pleasures of this earth, who wants wholeness for us, who wants health for us and everything that we do, that we would be taught to despise him, but at the same time grasp the one who wants, who encourages us to do physical harm to ourselves. And, that's and, that amazing, too, because Philip K. Dick, he was, you know, he had made a number of uh, suicide attempts, you know. So I think it's yeah. interesting that... Mm. One of the fathers of, you know, uh, the Gnostic message within popular media uh, had made a number of, uh, you know, suicide attempts. And, and, uh, and you know, and you see in Scripture, I mean, when you, we go through the Bible and we look at uh, suicide, that you can see it's satanically inspired over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hithophel, he was a type of Judas because he betrayed Jesus with bread. and I mean, yeah. he betrayed uh, David at the table. And Jesus quotes, you know, that verse of Judas who was possessed by Satan and ended up uh, committing suicide. Satan, you know, uh, when he possessed the pigs, the demons, did they let him into a suicidal path? We just talked about right. that in other respect. Jesus, he was at the, you know, at the pinnacle of the temple, and Satan saying, hey, jump, you know, he'll give his, his angels uh, charge over you. And in the book of Revelation, you see mass uh, suicide attempts, but they're not able to even kill themselves because right. Judgment's coming. I mean, that's just some of the features we see. Saul, he was another one who was possessed, committed suicide. So not that everyone who committed suicide is, I'm saying, is possessed, but I'm saying sure. that it could be oppression, just depression. But Satan is the spirit behind it, and uh, and and he's thriving through uh, the seduction of Hollywood and, and and cheapening life. And you're you're right. He's mm-hmm. the, you know he's the murderer from the beginning as well. The scriptures say. Well, if I if I could compare two of them, you you have the the seed of the woman in Jesus Christ who's on trial before Caiaphas and before the Romans. W- when he is there, he will not mention any of his followers to bring them into judgment as well. Uh, he keeps them completely out of it so that he takes all of this judgment on himself. He doesn't want any of the disciples to be hurt. And what happens? Where in the contrast in Revelation, you see Satan. When when he goes down, he leads a rebellion of the entire earth. So all of his followers will receive the same judgment he receives, uh, as opposed to Jesus, who's willing to take all of this penalty, uh, right. undeserved, on himself. Satan wants point. all of his followers to be punished alongside him, and in fact, try to inspire and invoke them uh, to right. get a punishment and destruction upon themselves. Yeah, I mean, he's the ultimate, I mean, it's amazing, he's called the accuser of the brethren, he's called the slanderer, 
why would anyone want to be a Satanist? I mean, you're like, you know, you're butting up with the greatest snitch on earth or in the, in the cosmos, you know, who is the biggest, uh, you know, the backstabber. I mean, the, the father of lies, the, the, you know, the, you know, the, you know, the murderer from the beginning. And it's interesting because he wants to bring that destruction before people find deliverance from Jesus. In fact, mm-hmm. uh, that's why we read, and I believe when Jesus is going to cast a, a, a demon out of a young boy, uh, you know, he is constantly throwing himself into the fire by the right. demonic inspiration. So right. this, yeah, this, yeah, so what you have is a Satan inspiring this boy to destroy himself prior to his deliverance from Jesus. And that's what we see, I believe, in the book of Revelation, which is kind of interesting insight, the contrast you made with, with Jesus and Satan, totally the opposite mm-hmm. uh, from one another, because Satan knows his time is short, just like he knew that boy's time was short to destroy him and try to destroy him before Jesus, who he knew was on the scene, could deliver him from these powers. Uh, he wants people to, you know, he wants to destroy as many during the uh, tribulation period before they find deliverance that comes only through Christ. Um, you, you know, there's another movie that looks like this very sweet little kind of movie. I know it's very popular called Pleasantville. It's one of these ones yeah. that's just really intriguing kind of thing. It had some, some for, for example, uh, the, the female lead, her name just escaped me, uh, blonde-haired young lady. Um, she's she's from Nashville here. It's considered, you know, a favorite uh, daughter. I, her name just escaped me here. But uh, uh, basically the, the crux of that um, is that this, this couple, uh, brother and sister from modern day, get transported back in time, and it appears by a god kind of figure for some reason, back into the black and white 50s, which I think black and white is very, very interesting because uh, while it definitely had its problems in the 50s and the metaphor of our... I mean, it swept a lot of legal things under the rug. I mean, the CIA was doing evil things. There was a lot of evil going on in the world that we turned a, a blind eye to uh, during the Cold War and things like this. But it was a black and white world that believed in evil and goodness. And suddenly they show up and um, basically introduce widespread sin and rebellion. I mean, sin is another metaphor for rebellion. That's basically it's rebellion against God. That's what it stands for and, and his standings. And so as you document in your, in your documentary, they find all sorts of sexual sin, not only by the young but even the older people, to where they start privately doing these sins and partaking. And then it starts changing part of the world away from the black and white to the color. But then they start flaunting it, like you show, where they actually start putting it in pictures out on the front of buildings and other kind of things, where it becomes a blatant mockery of God and of order, of what what is sacred and profane. And this is a message that's considered a feel-good movie for people, even amongst Christians. But it's very, very clearly a rebellion movie against the order that God established, correct? No, yeah, 100%, because, I mean, star, starring a huge star in the, in the, in the movie uh, is uh, Tobey Maguire, who's mm-hmm. the main star of Spider-Man. Right. And, yeah, they go back into this uh, his favorite TV show. He meets the, the maker of the show, who is this god figure over the show, so to speak, and he projects him into the uh, movie and or into the TV show. And, and first, Tobey wants to be this great, you know, citizen in, in the show, which is all... You know, life is black and white, everything, you know, but it creates it as black and white, as boring, until sin is enters the picture, sin enters the picture. Yeah, then everything is in color and it's all beautiful and, and, you know, there's this initiation, uh, you know, this kind of Eve initiation of, of the, of the gal that enters into the movie and, uh, apple is given to her and, and what have you and, 
And, yeah, then they begin to corrupt the whole every, – uh, almost every single person is corrupted except the do-getters that are, you know, want to follow the, you know, the script and don't want to veer and they're made to look, you know, very idiotic and what have you. But it's interesting because, uh, uh, you know, Betty Parker, you know, she becomes like a promiscuous adulteress in, yeah. in the movie and she starts out as, you know, you know, she's not a perfect kid, but she, you know, she's the first one to kind of rebel and then her brother, uh, played by Tobey Maguire – he rebels, but they use the symbolism of scripture, of truth, uh, to, to show a rebellion against the maker, and they basically present sin as beautiful because, like I said, everything becomes colorful. And, uh, in fact, Gary Ross, you know, who directed mm-hmm. it, he said in a sense that, uh, that Joan, uh, you know, she said that she had to play Eve as the very first woman. So he himself admits, you know, makes a reference to, uh, Joan, this woman who is first, uh, now she's one of the movies, one of the women in the uh, in, in the movie that gets corrupted early on. That is part of the, I mean, the show. Who's actually part of the television show and, a, and one who's like mm-hmm. perfect, but then she falls and he says she's like the Eve. So again, it's all inverted. But then again, you have references, Gnostic type references, and everything in the Bible being inverted in a, in a, in a show that was absolutely, I mean, you know, very popular with a lot of people that right. didn't really. And then when they start to realize, they see it. I can't tell you how many people. I mean, I've had people respond to different things that we show in Hollywood's War on God in various ways. Uh, that response to that particular movie stunned me because so many people were, you know, they were very upset. They were saying, well, you see it, it's so obvious. It's like such a glorification of evil, but it's yeah. presented in such an innocent way, you know. Right, exactly. exactly. You know, I feel that same way about the Truman Show, which was another yeah. very popular mm-hmm. movie, uh, you know, about this man, and you can't help but feel sorry for him. Uh, if you're not familiar with the movie, the basic storyline is uh, from the time of his birth, he was set aside. I think a corporation owned him and decided yeah. to do a live reality show of his entire life that he was unaware of. He was being filmed. His entire life was being artificially controlled. Uh, and it's sort of inadvertent that he happens to find out that that he's being watched and has no idea the world's watching him and all everybody's an actor in his life but but you mentioned so key points because it is so overtly gnostic it's probably the most of all your movies because you have two characters i believe one was moses and christus correct yeah uh-huh. who who actually they're not even just trying to direct this uh rebellion against the christian community in america they're also taking the the Judaism, which is obviously you know very popular in, in California, New York, and places of entertainment, both of those they hit both of them square in the head that they're, they're that they're yeah, t- right. getting rid of the Judeo and the Christian worldview, and and this the, the characters who are actually overseeing and controlling this character in creating an artificial world again the demiurge creating this physical world of existence, he's in blissful ignorance of what's going on. Uh, but there is somebody who comes like a Sophia character. I think Sylvia was her Sylvia is her name. Right. Yeah. Sylvia. Uh, so sort of so Sophia kind of thing who actually comes in and provides the gnosis to him. And this gnosis is that hey, do you know that you're being exploited here and being controlled? And she's quickly shuffled out. So it's the same picture of the of the the secret knowledge that comes in that's to awaken and illuminate your eyes that there's another reality against this controlling creator. But I found so interesting was your was your thing about this light that falls and it cannot be a mistake that yeah, it has this yeah. Sirius and this 139 mentioned on it. Uh, when he sees this fall from the sky, it's so serious, and it's obviously a marker for him. I, I, I right. had to think of Chris Pinto's work with Robert Hieronymus, 
when he uh-huh. talked about the the priest in Egypt and how um, the the low level people believed that all of these animal headed gods were real. The priest believed it actually was the sun that was God, and then Hieronymus says the truly initiated believed it was from Sirius. The, the star right. Sirius. And so all of the secret societies, you can trace in their literature some connection to this Sirius star system or whatever of this controlling intelligence of rebellion against the people in control. So, so I really reckon, you know, I, I, I see that as a sign of the secret societies dropping in a message to this guy as another form of gnosis, whether it's your local Masonic lodge or whatever, saying there's some other existence out here than what you're being told. Uh, and, and ultimately, of course, he rebels against it. He rebels against Christos and Moses and, quote, liberates himself. Um, it's, it's an amazing story, but you, you mentioned that his sail on the boat that he uses to try to rebel and to escape these limitations had a 139 on it. And you looked at Psalm 139, because there's not many books yeah, in the Bible. That's right. probably it that's going to have a 139 chapter in it. So so what did you find in Psalm 30, 139? What 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 did it allude to? Well, if there weren't so many allusions to esoteric things and, and biblical things, like Moses and Christoph being basically the head of the corporation and the director of the show that traps Truman from, you know, even before he was a baby, he ends up being born into this thing. You mentioned Sirius Canis Major 9. That was a Gnostic reference to, uh, you know, a lot of Crowley's followers and what have you are into, you know, this, this entities that are supposedly coming from that that region of space or that planet was really just demons uh, that, that give us gnosis, give us knowledge and what have you. Uh, so when you get to, you know, 139, it's like uh, Psalm 139 of any of the Psalms uh, talks about, I mean, it can be twisted in a, right. in, a, in a way that, you know, can if you look just at the first part of Psalm 139, but that's the great Psalm that talks about how, you know, that, you know, whether I go, you know, I cannot, you know, where can I go from thy spirit, you know, if I descend into hell, you are there, and what have you. So, basically, uh, I, I believe it's reference in, uh, in the Truman Show was saying, hey, I can't escape Moses and, and Christoph, because the whole thing at that point in the movie especially is, you know, they're trying to keep him from escaping uh, this, the world that he was in, and he couldn't get out, and then you see, you know, there's the 139, and, and of any psalm, if there's any ever a psalm or any passage of the Bible that talks about God being everywhere, talks about his um, omniscience and, and omnipresence and, and how we owe everything to him, it's that psalm. Unfortunately, what they do with that, if they're using it in that context, is it's being twisted into a, you know, God's some maniacal tyrant, when that psalm is really beautiful. I mean, it's about how... It's a comfort. Oh, it's a it's comfort, a comfort that he's under control and that we're never out of the reach of God's love. They see it as we're never out of the reach of God's judgment and restriction and control. Right, uh, because it's in that same passage where it talks about, you know, his thoughts toward us or as the sands of the sea and what have you. And it's right. just God's love for us and, and his beauty. We only have two minutes left. Uh, I didn't even get to talk about the Harry Potter movies and all of the blatant Crowleyism and Blavatskyism and things in Harry yeah. Potter. In one minute, could you tell us very quickly a summary of what our listeners need to do with this information? Well, I uh, feel they first of all have to recognize uh, that it is very, very deceptive that there are, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but the spiritual powers of darkness that uh, hate us, that want to destroy us, that we're in a spiritual war, and that Satan. Uh, is real and he has a lot of power and he goes about 
seeking who not he may gum and maybe hurt a little bit, but who he may devour. He really wants to destroy us mm-hmm. and our families. So we're supposed to resist him steadfast in the faith. And uh, he has put forth a lot of different isms and philosophies in the world, but Gnosticism is his most prominent ism in, re- in regard to uh, how he's filling the minds and hearts of people, and even on a subconscious level, right. and getting them to reject and hate God. And we need to recognize that these movies are filled with these lies, and if we allow and we, we constantly uh, pump these movies into our children's hearts and, and we don't teach our children discernment as to uh, what's going on out there and what these things are about, uh, they can fall prey, and, and we shouldn't be too surprised later in life right. and heartbroken if they've been seduced by these things. Of course, we should be heartbroken, but we shouldn't right. be surprised. Sure. But, and we need to be equipped, and we need to know these things, and we need to stand up and speak the truth and educate our brothers and sisters in Christ, educate, as you mentioned earlier, the churches as to this huge movement, because far more is being taught through the week by these popular movies than is being taught from the pulpit. Right. Uh, so people are being inundated with these lies and I encourage people to not only be informed, but now let's do something about it. Let's uh, what the enemy's doing for evil. Let's uh, let's do for the truth. Let's get out and share the truth of the Lord. In fact, I just you mentioned mm-hmm. going to the Decapolis, and I mentioned yeah. Caesarea. Is you know we have a, you know it used to be just us adults, and now I'm praising God. I'm getting a little bit older now. I just turned uh-huh. 47. Yeah. You know it's awesome for me to see. I see a, uh, a lot of our high schoolers and junior hires, and I'm, we're not a giant church. We're you know, right. 350 people, you know, not that big. But we often will have, and it's nothing about us, but it's what the Lord is doing. I think it's important. We have about 25, sometimes 20, 25 people on Friday night go to the Third Street. They're yeah. dealing with people that are inundated with a lot of these lives that are part of Hollywood and dated by Hollywood. And they're taking a stand. These are young people taking a stand for the truth and, and, and awesome. preaching the gospel. And the reason I say that is you mentioned earlier that kids, are, their people, are, they're on, something's going on, but mm-hmm. then they see this stuff projected by those who don't right. know the truth but have a part of it, and they jump on board. And what a lot of these parents, and I'm just trying to tie some of the stuff you were saying together as well, that I think is a great and important point. A lot of these young people, we're created to be sold out. And we're afraid to let them know that they're supposed to be surrendered and living for Jesus. And deep down, they want to be significant and have right. purpose in life. So when these lies come around and they see some of the truth, they bite into it. And we, by saying, well, we'll just give them a little nominal Christianity, and yeah. we don't want to rock the boat too much, we ended up allowing them to be jaded when Amen. the truth, if we taught the truth and shared the Word of God with them and say, Jesus loves you, and he's not, you know, He wants to use you to His glory, and, and, and we model that in our own lives, not just telling mm-hmm. them, and, and we live for Him, then... It's amazing because I'm seeing it before my eyes right now. It's, mm-hmm. it's a neat thing happening. And there's a spiritual war to fight. Uh, we don't need self-help books back in sick bay. We need these young people out in the trenches Amen. of the spiritual battle. We have to go right now in our last 10 seconds. So can you tell us how to get the documentary? Yeah, just go to goodfight.org, and we've got a lot of great documentaries there. But Hollywood's War on God is definitely uh, one of our most uh, well-known. And okay. so goodfight.org. And we will have that link at futurequake.com. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope you'd be willing in your schedule to come back again and have another talk with us. Uh, no, not a problem in a heartbeat. I actually I enjoyed it very, very much. I, it's great getting to know you guys and, and have uh, know there's kindred spirits out there standing for the truth. And, and I, I, I can tell your audience is receiving a huge dose of uh, the truth on a, on, a, on a regular basis. And 
and to see your guys' insights, and I'm able to rejoice and know, mm-hmm. praise God, there's people here in the Word, you know. Thanks, thank you, brother. Thanks for the encouragement, and we are admirers of your work, and we've been for many years. Uh, we're sorry we've been remiss to getting together, but uh, we'd like to have you back again, and thank you so much for being with us here on Future Quake. My pleasure. Thank you. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, full of foolishness, bionic. No, you're not. Yes. You're a very wise person. No. Um, I, I was really amazed talking about these movies, Pleasantville and um, um, oh, the, the, the one with uh, The Truman Show. Mm-hmm. You know, these seems like very innocuous entertainment kind of movies, but boy, it's as clear as the end of your nose once you stop yeah. and think about it. What was that movie we went and saw uh, a couple of weeks ago about about entering p- into people's dreams yeah, and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's Gnosticism and everything on so many levels going on there. I guess so you could say that. Yeah, yeah I mean, well, at least out of sleep paralysis. dream state. Yeah. yeah, that's like... But we need to be aware of this stuff's going on uh-huh. and not walk around in a dream state ourselves, mm-hmm. which sometimes we as Christians can do. Mm-hmm. But somebody who, who won't let you do that is Murph, who can tell you how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. All right. We gotta go. Let's hit it. Come back for tomorrow's trimmers tomorrow. Until then, we hope your future's always bright. Have a good day. Hasta the wiggle. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom, not attacking my own vehicle, because if I did, it'd probably fall over. Bionic. Yeah, it wouldn't take much to attack your <laughs> the bionic machine with it. Just oh, yeah. a hard stare. Yeah. Could knock it apart. <laughs> that is some foreshadowing, ladies and gentlemen, Indeed. because today is Friday. We hope you enjoyed our interview this week on Future Quake. Mm-hmm. Uh, Friday's the day when we sort of power down a little bit, have some self-reflection. And it also means something else, Tom Bionic. Why don't you tell us this week what Friday... Means. Dance, dance, dance. I'm gonna dance, dance, dance. Uh huh. Yeah. Just unless like I'm, unless I'm hanging out with Baptist folks, then I'm not gonna dance. Hey, you're they talking don't, to a, like dancing, right? You're talking to a person of Baptist heritage oh, here. I mean, I, you know, they're it, good folks. Okay. It is tomorrow's tremors or today's review of the future's news. Or that too. Yeah. And uh, probably a, a dance singing song is not common on Christian radio on most shows, but we're unique on tomorrow's tremors. Anything we're is like fair a, game. We're like you know you've got all these like Tupperware bowls, and then you've got one that got put in the microwave by accident. And it's oh all, yeah, you know, that's it, us. That's us. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense to yep. me. Sort of like the green potato chip in the bag. It's mm-hmm. got the green. I'm on it. I'm like the rim where the top won't fit on. Oh. You know? okay. <laughs> well. We've got some news to do, but do you have any announcements for us? Um, tons, but I'm going to save them for, Whoa. for perhaps you're, the you're future. O- you're always so cryptic. I know. It, you, you won't say like nothing. You'll just say, yeah, I've got in it. Oh, better wait. Yeah, I think I'm going to wait on these. Mm-hmm. Right. Your cliffhanger, my honor. Might be big. Might be big. Really? Yeah. 
Wow. Not, Doc, uh, Dr. Not, Future I'm, I'm doesn't even know big. what I'm, he's I'm, I'm making to. it way too big. It's not that big. Well, I'm sure it's big for our listeners. We mm-hmm. thank everybody who's been emailing. I know, I think I must have done a call out to ask people, if I remember correctly, if you hadn't emailed us to email. And we've mm-hmm. been getting emails from friends in New Zealand mm-hmm. and from all parts. I mean, Australia, some some reason Anzac is particularly a a uh, popular place for future We're big quite. in Anzac, Australia. The whole, well, the whole Anzac coalition, you know, of countries, you know. Oh, oh, oh yeah. I don't know why, but uh, anyway, just uh, appreciate all you all emailing. If you've not emailed us, be sure and do it, and uh, we appreciate it. Sometimes I get a little behind in my emails. been trying to catch up with everybody. Appreciate everybody's feedback. Even when it's critical, I appreciate that um, because I know it's heartfelt and you want to accomplish something. We appreciate mm-hmm. it. Okay. Would you like to start with the story or would you like me to? Tell you what. Why don't why don't I start with a very short story? Okay. And then you can do something that's intelligent and brilliant. Uh huh. Um, this is like a the palate cleanser before the actual meal, you know. Yeah. Um, the only intelligent thing like that I can do is keep my silence. No, 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 no. Which no. I that's won't do. My turn. That's <laughs> okay. my part. Lay that on us. Obama town hall meeting, quote unquote, casting call. Uh, this is via backstage, kind of a clear all for different casting calls mm-hmm. for, for movies and extras and stuff. President Obama, Town Hall, DC, MTV, BET, and CMT uh, are casting the audience for a town hall meeting with President Obama, shooting October 14th at 4 p.m. in Washington, DC, seeking audience members, males and females, 18. To apply, email townhallaudience at mtvandmix.com and put town hall in the subject line. To ensure that the audience represents diverse interests and political views, use your name, phone, number, hometown, school attending, your job, and what issues, if any, you are interested in. And that's all. I just thought it was amazing that this hmm. thing that originally came came to be mean came to mean like you go and you interact with your constituents. Right. And open it? means everybody can come. Yeah, and now it means we are going to stage this pre-engineered, pre-engineered, so and pre-chew it for you, so. Nothing mm-hmm. is out of place or out of order. Cause they've controlled the message. Not just controlled the message from, well, they've controlled it from front to end and all the middle yeah. and edited it, and it's just... But yet they give the deception that it's uncontrolled mm-hmm. when you exactly. watch it. Exactly. Exactly. It's point. one thing to say, okay, this is our campaign commercial, and we picked these people to speak on our behalf. This is some third party doing a sort of like a debate town hall kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But yet, it's really just a campaign commercial, disguised mm-hmm. as that. Yep, exactly. Uh, you know what? I bet you that's not the only time things like that happen. Disguised well, it happens, as news. It's happened. It happens constantly. I'm just tired of people talking to me like they know some deep cryptic thing because somebody said some nuanced right. thing. Right. You know, in front of a bun- You know, in front of a bunch of people who aren't going to ask right. hard questions. And our listeners need to decide to maybe take a little time when they hear one of these people speaking somewhere in their town mm-hmm. or maybe a book signing or something. If if everybody else is pre-engineering who's there, they need to d- go up to these people, maybe take a little video camera with them and ask them the hard questions face-to-face. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Do your homework first and then go up there and confront them. Mm-hmm. You've got YouTube. You can put that stuff up there immediately. You know? Mm-hmm. Citizens have to start doing that because obviously the mainstream media is not working as advocates to find out the truth of what's going on. No, they're completely... They're collaborators, so like Vichy France, you yeah. know, with the Nazis. <laughs> basically the same I was going to put it more stridently, but that's, yeah. that'll work. It's the, it's the guise of yeah. a government. Goebbels. 
Well, I have another weird story. Great. Uh, we don't allow that. And normally, this is one. It's a little, little bit about Mormonism, and I don't mean it intended to pick on Mormonism or even pick on Glenn Beck, but it's informative if it has any kind of validity to it, mm-hmm. to helping understanding what's going on with this Glenn Beck phenomena. Mm-hmm. The story it comes from AOL News. Uh, is Glenn Beck attempting to fulfill the Mormon white horse prophecy, which is something I've never heard about, and I'm sure there's probably a lot more there in Mormon prophecy that, you know, I don't know. Okay, it says, is it is a prophecy known to few outside of the Mormon faith, motivating Glenn Beck's crusade against President Barack Obama's administration? That's Washington reporter Dana Milbank's conclusion. In an article published Tuesday at the Huffington Post, Milbank details the history of Joseph Smith's so-called white horse prophecy. Through two of Smith's followers are said to have heard though two of Smith's followers are said to have heard him deliver the prophecy in 1843. It was not actually written down until the 1850s when the men were elderly and Smith had passed away. In 1855, Smith's successor, Brigham Young, distilled the prophecy into the following line. When the Constitution of the United States hangs, as it were, upon a single thread, they, the American citizens, will have to call for the Mormon elders to save it from utter destruction, and they will step forth and do it. Now, as Milbank notes, within days after Obama was elected president, Beck began frequently invoking the very same language when assessing the state of the country. And he says, We are at the place where the Constitution hangs in the balance. Beck told Bill O'Reilly on November 14, 2008, just after Obama's election. I feel the Constitution is hanging in the balance right now, hanging by a thread, unless the good Americans wake up. Now, that's, that's the exact same phrase, yeah. Constitution hanging by a thread. Okay, hard to argue that's entirely coincidental. But as the Salt Lake Tribune reported, Beck is hardly the first Mormon public figure to evoke the phrasing of the prophecy. Orrin Hatch... A repeat guest on Beck's program is also fond of characterizing the U.S. Constitution as literally hanging by a single thread, as he did during his 1999 run for president. Not every Mormon politician is guided by the prophecy, however. I haven't heard my name associated with it or anything of that nature, Mitt Romney told the Salt Lake Tribune in 2007. That's not official church doctrine. There are a lot of things that are speculation and discussion by church members and even church leaders that aren't official church doctrine. Uh, I don't put that at the heart of my religious belief. Church members are no stranger to the prophecy. For decades it has been repeated by Mormon leaders, even though the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints' official line is that it cannot be verified that Joseph Smith ever really issued it in the first place, although Brigham Young himself quoted it. Of course, the, quote, hanging by the thread metaphor is not just the property of Mormons. Rush Limbaugh, who is reported to be a Methodist, characterized American democracy the same way after Congress passed health care reform in the spring. But for the Mormon religion, the U.S. Constitution is revered as a product of divine inspiration, Mm -hmm. uh, tantamount to a religious document. Okay, that's the Mormon conviction. Said Smith, this is Joseph Smith, the Constitution of the United States is a glorious standard. It is founded in the wisdom of God. It is a heavenly banner. It is to all those who are privileged with the sweets of liberty, like the cooling shades and refreshing waters of a great walk, rock in a dry, uh, thirsty and weary land. As religion dispatches uh, writer... Okay. Yeah. That's a little weird. 
Uh, as religion dispatches writer Joanna Brooks argued, Beck's own reverence for the Constitution may stem in part from his Mormon faith. Just a few more sentences here. Um, it is likely that Beck owes his brand uh, of the founding father worship to Mormonism, Brooks wrote, where reverence for the founders and the United States Constitution as divinely inspired are often declared elements of Orthodox belief. I don't know if you knew that. Hmm. Of course, over the course of its history, the LDS Church has often found itself at odds with other Americans over the matter of whether its practices, such as plural marriage, violated the Constitution. As well as the people in the Mountain Meadows Massacre. Right, exactly. There was a lot of at odds there. Yeah, mm-hmm. physical. You know, people are yeah. still mad in the, the people who are related to the people. Really? Yeah, they are still mad about that. They've never really 200 years terms. later, they're still mad about it. Yeah. yeah. It's like Kosovo or something. Uh, given the historical basis of Mormonism's relationship to the U.S. Constitution, then it's perhaps not so surprising that Beck seems ready to ride in on a white horse and save the day. But look out. Here comes John Stewart and Stephen Colbert to knock him off it. Funny. So, I only th- hope are two comedians. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure, yes, right. I'm sure Chris White really enjoyed that story. Yeah. You know, about reverence for the Constitution and things like that. This would have been something oh, interesting mean, to put in his documentary. You mean Chris Pinto? Chris Pinto, yeah. I mean. Sorry, yeah, sorry, Chris a, White and Chris Pinto. Yeah, uh, yeah, Chris Pinto would yeah. have, I think, found that fascinating. That Indeed. it's an element. Now, again, I didn't mean that to just try to knock Mormonism or, or Glenn Beck, but it's just interesting to know because you know Bush. We we know more of the evangelical kind of prophetic words, and and Bush would always percolate them through his talk, mm-hmm. particularly after the war on terror started. Yeah, he'd put them in there campaigning, similar to fire in the minds of men, really. Sort of, yeah. Yep. But it's no surprise that Mormons would be doing the same thing, and it's it's good to educate ourselves on some of these kind of things mm-hmm. to be able to understand where they're coming from. Indeed. So there you go, hanging by a thread. Hanging by a thread. You got anything else for us? Yep. NATO contractors attacking own vehicles in Pakistan. Is this part of the dance part in the early yeah. part of the show? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Dance, dance. Okay. Attack your own vehicle. Can you can you provide that to us in prose now? Yeah. No, I'm the Baron von Trapp of Christian radio. This is you BBC know, hate hate music. <laughs> I had a friend of mine said that he really liked music. He just didn't like listening to it. What? That's pretty heavy duty when you yeah. think about it. Yeah. I don't I don't know how to quantify that. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm still pondering it. Head scratcher there for sure. NATO supply. This is via the BBC. NATO supply convoys traveling through Pakistan to Afghanistan have regularly come under attack in the past. But following Pakistan's decision to block their route through the Khyber Pass, they now face an even bigger security threat. Hundreds of tankers and trucks have been left stranded on highways and depots across Pakistan with little or no security. Taliban militants have regularly been targeting the convoys even when they are heavily protected. But many believe it is not just the militants who pose a security threat to the convoys. The owners of the oil tankers being used to supply fuel to NATO in Afghanistan say some of the attacks on their convoys are suspicious. They say there is evidence that suggests the bombs have been planted in many vehicles by quote-unquote NATO contractors, individuals or companies who have been contracted by NATO to supply fuel and goods and force in Afghanistan. The contractors subsequently hire the transporters when they carry the goods. And that's it. Mm. That was just a little couple lines out of that story. And uh, um, in other in other different stories uh, that were sort of much greater in length, that was sort of the thing. They said, you know, for various reasons, uh, these NATO contractors were blowing up their own vehicles, um, and and they gave a bunch of lame duck reasons. 
you know, like, well, maybe they just didn't want to be in Afghanistan anymore, and mm -hmm. you know. Wow. Um, you know, wow. It's, it's like pretty lame duck reason, you know. You don't blow up your own vehicle to not be there. Hmm. You just terminate the contract. You know, if we'd been doing this during the OWRFN days of Future Quake, I would play that song, Ball of Confusion, by The Temptations. <laughs> Ball of Confusion. Yeah. Because that's really what we're talking about. That's mm -hmm. what the world is today. Hey, hey. Yeah. Um, because basically we're self-destructing. We are self-destructing, destroying our wealth. We're letting our banks destroy our wealth. Mm -hmm. We destroy our own vehicles over there. We waste people's lives, other things. Which is all this is a hallmark of the end of an empire. Mm -hmm. All all the the things of, of self-destruction and implosion. It seems to me you might be able to see it's a, the the locutus of it all is like we're trying to streamline one part of society is trying very desperately to streamline the corporate graft and making it near perfect that uh you know just deleting wealth from the average uh, the average citizen of this country you know they're trying mm -hmm. to make that streamline and just as perfect as they can mm -hmm. and then of course there's always there's always the people who uh, feed into that, but it's it's almost a different thing. Like you know, the complete surveillance society and the DARPA helmet of of obedience and all of these things. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you mentioned helmet of obedience. Oh, it's That's come up like five times in the last week. Even during this show, I've been thinking yeah. about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if we can get one on Tom's head. Yeah. Yeah. It may join Rockefeller and the Nephilim in our rotation of, subject the list. Helmet of obedience. Yeah. Um, but it's they're trying. They've got they're trying very hard to streamline the complete. Uh, deletion of wealth, you know, just get their hands perfectly yeah. in your pocket with, you know, mm -hmm. you know, without any problems. And then there's the complete surveillance society, and then there's the poison you sort of thing, mm -hmm. you know, with the whole health, the health mm -hmm. concerns and everything. All of which, like you said, are just get the like basis end, end times thing, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Would you like to hear some more news? Only if it's happy. Oh yeah, this would be happy. Um. Israeli cabinet approves controversial loyalty oath. This is in Yahoo News, American Free Press. Uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu opens the weekly cabinet meeting at his Jerusalem office here. Isn't it uh, interesting that a that a country that was essentially formed out of the ashes of a of a totalitarian fascist regime's mm -hmm. uh, attack on their on their religion and culture, uh, nary. 60, 70 years later, are beginning to revert back to the same sort of fascist things. You can believe whatever you want. Well said. As long as it's the government. Well it's said. It's the government's thing. Well that's, said. It's fascinating. In other words, you can't have a religious belief or convictions that's counter to the yeah. people in power right long now. As, as long as you believe the what the state purity. believes, you're just fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, they, and they all died by the millions because of that. Mm -hmm. And now they have their own government, and here's what happens. Yep. Okay, um... Jerusalem, uh, Israel's mainly right-wing government voted overwhelmingly on Sunday to f uh, in favor of a controversial legislation requiring non-Jewish new citizens to swear allegiance to the country as a Jewish state. The measure has been widely condemned as racist by Israel's Arab minority, but uh, appeared uh, designed to placate hardline ministers ahead of a decision to extend the settlement moratorium seen as key to U.S.-backed peace efforts with the Palestinians. The 30-member coalition cabinet endorsed a draft amendment by 22 to 8. Uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's office said it still has to be approved by parliament before becoming law. 
According to the amendment, Jewish and Democratic State will be added at the end of the Pledge of Allegiance, the statement said. Israeli media said that all five ministers from the left-leaning Labor Party voted against the proposal, as did three members of Netanyahu's own Likud party. Um, the amendment has been toned down from an original proposal by the ultranationalist Israeli Bittenenu party, a foreign minister, Avignor Lieberman, which would have required even Arabs born in Israel to take to make the pledge and to promise to serve in the military or perform other national service. But it has still been criticized as inflammatory and racist by the country's Arab minority, and one labor minister said that of the vote that it took the country to the edge of a chasm. It says there is a whiff of fascism on the margins of Israeli society, Social Affairs Minister Isaac Herzog told Army Radio. Opposition leader Zippy Livni said the move was politics at its worst. The sensitive issue of Israel's existence as a Jewish and democratic state has become subject to political horse trading, she said at a conference. Netanyahu said the proposed pledge was in keeping with the words and spirit of the Jewish state's founders. There is no other democracy in the Middle East. There is no other Jewish state in the world, the premier added. The combination of these two lofty values expresses the foundation of our national life, and anyone who would like to join us needs to recognize this. The amendment has been denounced within Israel's Arab community, which makes about 20% of the population, as targeting Palestinians seeking citizenship after marrying Israeli Arab citizens. Uh, others have said it would have little practical effect and may be a trade-off to a moratorium on settlement building in the occupied West Bank. I see no reason for the loyalty law other than some kind of political arrangement between Lieberman and Netanyahu, minorities Mr. Abishai Braverman of the Labor Party told journalists outside the cabinet office. The Yediot Aronaut Daily quoted an unnamed Likud minister saying Netanyahu championed the amendment in order to woo the right-wing majority in his government ahead of a swerve to the left. He wants a, to extend the freeze and understands that he doesn't have a majority in the cabinet security cabinet and therefore he has to take measures to court the right wing, it quoted the minister saying. Later, Channel 10 News said the ultra-Orthodox Shas party had reportedly lifted its objections to a, to a new temporary moratorium. Many cabinet members oppose extending the moratorium despite Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas's refusal to hold further U.S.-backed negotiations without a complete halt to settlement activity. The 10-month moratorium expired last month, and Israel has so far refused to renew it. Arab League foreign ministers on Friday gave the, gave the United States one month to get its Israeli ally to relent and back the Palestinians' insistence on a complete freeze ahead of any new talks. Mm. So, sorry there's a lot of details there, but um, it's almost like the Dominionists are in, are in control there. Mm -hmm. In other words, Jewish... Now, when they mean Jewish, do they mean Jewish faith? Do they mean just Jewish by birth? What does that mean? Because they're already citizens. So does that mean they're Jewish if they're citizens? Or what 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 does it mean? Mm -hmm. Does that mean, like, for example, if you had people who were some other ethnicity that all moved there, relocated, they would not be allowed, even though if they were a majority, to take a majority of power in the country? It'd be sort of like a, apartheid, where yeah. every one of the black citizens in South Africa had to say, this is a white country. Mm-hmm. Except it wouldn't be called that. It would be called um, supporting God's people or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Some kind of... I think it's coming here. I think these kind of loyalty oh, sure. things... In fact, it's made me rethink the 
pledge of allegiance we take. And maybe the is a Jehovah's Witness that don't do that. I can't remember. It might be a Seventh Day Adventist. I, maybe it is a Jehovah's Witness. I think it's Jehovah's Witness. I, you know, they may have a point. And I don't mean that to be unpatriotic. Of course, they'll come after me now. But yeah, but too late. the the thing is, you know, we people have them in their churches. They glorify the state in their churches and their sacred places. Um, you know, they have this pledge of allegiance all the time and things. The same kind of thing the Nazis said. You and I have talked about how we found out that the original pledge of allegiance used to be like a like the Nazi salute. Yeah, where you'd you put your hands, put your hand out. Yeah, yeah, toward the flag, just like the the, the Nazis would do. Mm-hmm. This really has nothing to do with being patriotic. I believe William Grigg says it right. Patriotism is looking out for your neighbors, your community, your friends, and taking care of them. Mm-hmm. It's not going with whoever is in power and say you rubber stamp the agenda they have of the people in power. Because a lot I, of people say that's what that. patriotism is. Yeah. Don't ask well, questions. It's tough. Um, there are a lot of different ins and outs of that. The thing that I guess I have I found more shocking in the course of doing the show was was the fact that there are just so many churches and stuff that will fly the American flag mm-hmm. above everything else. Even I, I've never seen the Christian flag, so I don't know what it looks like, but mm-hmm. I've heard of lots of churches. Got a little blue square up on it and a little cross in the middle of it and stuff like that. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought it was Sweden or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody ever carried that into battle. Like, did they do it to when they were shooting people and machine gunning? I don't know. Yeah, who knows? I think the apostles, when they drew their swords and started killing all those people. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where that came yeah. from. Yeah. I, I, gosh. We could uh, we could do a whole show where we just sort of commented back and forth on that. Yeah. Just, well, we've got three minutes for you to share with us. Something. All right. Well, here's a, here's a slightly older story, but I found it so fascinating that uh, it touches. Uh, it, it was really long. It was like 5,000 okay. words. So uh, I'll, I'll just go through kind of the high points here. Yeah. This is, it's via Rolling Stone. It's called The Runaway General. The entire co- counterintelligence strategy is a fraud perpetrated on the American people, says Douglas McGregor, a retired colonel and leading critic of counterinsurgency who attended West Point with McChrystal. The idea that we are going to spend a trillion dollars to reshape, reshape the, col- the culture of the Islamic world is utter nonsense. Spending hundreds of billions of dollars on the fifth poorest country on earth has failed to win over the civilian population, whose attitude towards the U.S. troops ranges from intensely wary to openly hostile. The biggest military operation of the year, a ferocious offensive that began in February to retake the southern town of Marja, continues to drag on, prompting McChrystal himself to refer to it as a bleeding ulcer. In June, Afghanistan officially outpaced Vietnam as the longest war in American history. Yeah. That was sad. Uh, and Obama has quietly begun to back away from the deadline he set for withdrawing U.S. troops in July of next year. The president finds himself stuck in, some, in an even more something, in something even more insane than a quagmire. A quagmire he knowingly walked into, even though it's precisely the kind of gigantic, mind-numbing, multi-generational nation-building project he explicitly said he didn't want. Um, and this is later on in the article. They go on to talk about Pat Tillman, which I thought was interesting. Oh. We've, we've talked about sure. this. Uh, after Colonel Pat, uh, Corporal Pat Tillman, uh, the former NFL star turned ranger, was accidentally killed by his own trips in Afghanistan in April 2004, McChrystal took an active role in creating the impression that Tillman had died at the hands of Taliban fighters. McChrystal did that? Yes. Wow. He signed off on a falsified recommendation for a s- silver star that suggested Tillman had been killed by enemy fire. McChrystal would later claim he didn't read the recommendation closely enough a strange excuse for a commander known for his laser-like attention to even minute details. Um, uh, a week later, McChrystal sent up a memo 
By the way, when yours a silver star to be ordered, they just don't pencil whip that. No, no. McChrystal sent a memo up the chain of command, uh, specifically warning that President Bush should avoid mentioning the cause of Tillman's death. If the circumstances of Corporal Tillman's death become public, he wrote, it would cause public embarrassment for the president. That's in his uh. memo. Uh, the false narrative, which McChrystal clearly helped construct, diminished Pat's true actions, wrote Tillman's mother, Mary, in her book Boots on the Ground by Dusk. McChrystal got away with it, she added, because he was the golden boy, quote-unquote, of Rumsfeld and Bush, who loved his willingness to get things done, even if it included bending the rules or skipping the chain of command. Nine days after Tillman's death, McChrystal was promoted to major general. Mm-mm. They And I'll, I'll end with this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there are They are trying to manipulate us, to manipulate perceptions, because there is no definition of victory, because victory is not even defined or recognizable, says Celeste Ward, a senior defense analyst at the RAND Corporation who served as a political advisor to U.S. Uh, to US commanders in Iraq in 2006. Mm. That's the game we're in right now. What we need for strategic purposes is to create the perception that we didn't get run off. The fact on the grounds are not great and 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 are not going to become great in the near future. I'm done. Wow. Uh, we're trying to get the people on doing the Tillman documentary to come on our show. But right now we can get Merv to come on and tell you how to contact us at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. We have to leave. All right. Uh, come back next week for our next great guest. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake.